to a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast in my name. Dear listener, is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hoger. Also, thank you always for, for leading us in. You know, I know it's like <laughs> a positive ritual to have the same opening for most episodes, but I appreciate you being the head first one of I the two. For, I forget every time the words I'm supposed to say and in what order, <laughs> and I, I figure it out as I'm saying it out loud. Uh, lit, like, not even kidding. <laughs> Does, yeah. I wish that was a bit, but it's not. I forget every week. You walk so we can run, you know? <laughs> the both of us you walk so i can trip and then you help me back up and then we walk together that's right it's league of legends wild rift <laughs> get the out of whole here bonus just about it what's your favorite character's name mine's fizz <laughs> don't use fizz against me anyway <laughs> today we're talking about two very special games eco and shadow of the colossus uh, both made by Team Eco, and although they rebranded recently, right? They're a they, new team now. Yeah, when they were working on the Last Guardian, I think they stopped being like technically a first-party Sony studio. Maybe I'm wrong about that bit, but anyway, they're called Gen Design now. And uh, yeah, uh, lead designer Fumito Ueda, kind of like a legendary game designer at this point uh, for his work on Eco specifically and some of the design philosophy he like imbued into that game, which um, I can't wait to get into. Um, Me too. And uh, yeah, yeah, they have they have three games specifically uh eco shadow colossus and then the last guardian um just worth mentioning like the last guardian is not really a focus of this episode i did play a couple hours of it um in preparation for this episode just because i had never played it before and just kind of wanted like an idea of what was going on there just in case it became relevant at any point um in the conversation here what i'll say is a few hours in i don't know if that's going to be the case really because a lot of the ideas that i find interesting about the last guardian are also kind of covered in eco and shadow colossus interestingly enough also, from a lore perspective, not as directly connected to the other two games right. as these two games are with one another. Yeah. Um, so I don't feel super bad about leaving the Last Guardian out because I, I started playing it in kind of like a, oh shit, like did we fuck up, like not including this yeah, in the a trilogy that we're missing one for. I don't think that's the situation. Yeah. Ha- having played a bunch of it um, and also <laughs> like reading some stuff about it online doesn't seem to be the case. Um, that said, do expect me to bring up the Last Guardian at some point in a future episode because like, man, it's really good it's a I really good video game too. yeah I, I mean i love i love this team's work so i'm all about it um yeah last guardian is also part of the playstation plus collection so if you have playstation plus it's just oh, like right on. it's just like free to download on ps4 and ps5 which is rad but eco and shadow of the colossus are like loose loose sequel prequel but also like the creator has basically said that he wants it to be open to interpretation and it largely is but yeah. he has said that his personal headcanon is that Eco is the sequel to Shadow of the Colossus. Yes. And even without anyone saying that, I think you play those two games and they feel like they're kind of cosmic reflections of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of real... It, it feels almost like a sequel in the way that a new Zelda is, where like there's a lot of yeah. very familiar elements and like kind of characters and ideas reincarnated, like going through the journey in a different way. Yeah, I, I when we get into the lore side of things, I think I have like a weird take on the Shadow Colossus. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Connection to Eco, um, at least based on the stuff i've seen i haven't seen anybody else with the same thought process that i have about how they connect i'm so excited which is fun but um that said uh Ueda has like really gone out of his way over the years to like deny any specific canon which is really cool he's just yeah. like just come up with what your own stuff is and that's right he, he's very much like a my work's out in the world so it's not mine anymore kind of guy he's like th- there is a thing that i believe but that's not the thing which i i'm very at much, the same time uh, neither game about. is like frustratingly ambiguous 
you know, it's not the case where like you don't know what happened and the creator's like, I don't know, you tell me. It's absolutely. Like, I think that's yeah. actually like really worth mentioning too, because like if you want to play one of these over the other, like go ahead and do it. It's not going to impede your ability to play one or the other because you haven't played the other. You know, um, you could play Eco and never play Shadow of the Colossus. You could play Shadow of the Colossus and never play Eco, and like that's fine like if that's kind of your mo you're but missing out but I, yeah, I was just yeah. about to say <laughs> you are you're definitely missing something cool um so all of that said um you and i have like a pretty strong i would say familiarity with shadow of the colossus yeah um and you and i had never played eco before you played it on the playstation 2 which is cool i did um, I played the PS3 remake via PlayStation Now, the streaming service that I think everyone frequently forgets exists uh, for PlayStation devices. Maybe even Sony, yeah. Yeah, really an interesting time. (laughs) I will say this. Um, just in case you're wondering, you know, cause I, I think we're going to talk like non spoilers, then get into spoilers and you know, the, yeah. the classic setup for our episodes. But, uh, that said, if you are looking to play this game, if you're looking to play eco, I can definitely recommend PlayStation now. Like if your internet connection is stable enough to play a game like that, I played the whole thing literally like didn't see like a frame jump or anything at all. It just worked kind of really spectacularly, uh, in a way that I very much wasn't expecting. Cause I haven't used PlayStation now since I don't even know, five or six years ago, I you yeah. came to visit my apartment when we both lived in the same town in like, there were like three months where you and I lived in the same place. Right. And you came to visit my apartment and we checked out PlayStation Now like the week it launched as like a goof. Uh, and it was like a nightmare. It was just like <laughs> a dearth of video games and everything that we did play just like didn't work correctly. Yeah, um, I remember. <laughs> so night and day situation between that sure. experience and this one, it, it was a great way to play Eco. Um, so if you have a PS4 or a PS5, definitely check it out. If you have a PS3, you can just go get the disc that has Eco and Shadow of the Colossus on it, uh, which is really wonderful. And if you, like you, Stephen, have a PlayStation 2, you can find a copy of Eco and play that way. I'll say this about the PS2 version. It's not easy to find. And uh, the I mean, it's like you can do it and it's not it's like I think my copy was like twenty five dollars. But oh, that's not bad. the copy I got like stopped working eventually. I thought my PS2 was dying because I put it on and it was like, Vroom! like I just heard, like, <laughs> you know, like like a toy fan spinning. And I was like, man, Eco is really uh, putting a, a strain on my on my PS2. That is true, actually. Is it like yeah, a, oh yeah, yeah. Eco, Eco is like a pretty like hardcore game r- running on the PS2. That might be it then, because it were like it it was really loud, but it was working fine. But then at a certain point in the game, it would just start like crashing every now and then that sucks it was literally like the very end like i'll tell you where it crashed and it's so funny that like that's where it stopped oh no okay so i i would say i played like 90 percent of eco and then it stopped working so i like actually just had to watch the rest which like was kind of a bummer but honestly it worked out okay like you know i i uh yeah the ending is largely cinematic anyway so i was just about to say yeah um it worked out fine and you know i uh but i really love my time with it but uh yeah i would say the, the ps3 remake is remake is such an ambiguous term these days but it's more of like a here's just like a souped up version of the ps2 one like it's a little bit cleaner it's a yeah. little much easier to see that's the one thing about the ps2 one is like it is really hard to see anything sometimes like, in mm-hmm. a darkly lit room yeah um, that also might just be like i get a lot of sun in my apartment it might have just been like that plus the glare on my tv which is like a nightmare right but I had, I had a wonderful time playing it and we'll get into that later but uh yeah i mean my experience with these two games uh shadow of the colossus came out 
2005, Eco came out 2001. I actually didn't even get Shadow of the Colossus until years after the fact. Like it came out on PS2 and it was sort of like instantly heralded as a classic. Like yes. it wasn't as big as like the hits of PS2, uh, like, you know, amongst everyone. But like if you knew, if you like were familiar with games at all, or if you like mysteriously found a copy, which I have some friends who like don't play games, but they like somehow ended up with this one. It's like the one that worked for them. <laughs> Okay, uh, which I'm glad is, to hear that. Yeah, um, it, it, it was really kind of like held up on this pedestal pretty much from Go. Eco as well. I mean, Eco, when it came out, it didn't do well commercially, but the people who did play it loved it. Yes. So anyway, I had heard all this buzz about the game and I always wanted to play it. I never did. And then my senior year of college, my friend Johnny got me a copy for my birthday and I played the PS2 version like to completion and absolutely loved it. Was really blown away, especially like, you know, in 2012 it was my ps2 was like a little bit it was old but it wasn't like you know i can't believe this still works old Mm -hmm. and uh wow that was almost a decade ago yikes but anyway i uh i really loved it and then in 2018 even before we did the show i just sort of like once i got a ps4 i instantly bought the blue point remake of shadow of the colossus on ps4 which came out in 2018 and uh played most of it like i got got, like probably halfway through but like i watched like what follows and that remake is like shot for shot the same game the biggest differences are like there are a few extra things to find in the world and the actual world is like a little prettier like not even just like graphically but like there's more grass like in the (laughs) ps2 version you really feel like you're in a forbidden wasteland in the ps4 one it's a little bit more breath of the wild death stranding than like totally this is a banned cursed place yeah i i will i will give a shout out to um jacob geller a great uh video essayist on youtube who has an incredible uh, video that's called The Search for the Last Great Secret about Shadow of the Colossus specifically uh, and, and the Blue Point remake and some of the stuff that they added there to kind of like fill in some gaps that a lot of players found in the PS2 version. Um, so if you want to see like a video of kind of how the leap from the PS2 to the PS4 versions happened uh, and why they happened the way that they did, that's a really good video. That's going to be in the show notes if you want to check that out. Yeah, I I played uh, Shadow of the Colossus on PS2 like literally right when it came out. Like I got it oh, like awesome. at launch. I was so fucking amped for this game because yeah. um, I saw I saw a trailer for it at some point. I don't know. I mean, maybe it was like the beginning of me like starting to pay attention to games media. Um, I, I don't really know how it was like on my like hype radar, but at a certain point it came out. I just remember like inviting a bunch of friends over to my house, like when it came out and we all played it and we were just like blown the fuck away. It yeah. was like the last PS2 game. It was like one of the last PS2 games. Yeah. Uh, if I recall correctly. And I really, really, really found like everything in there. I spent so much time in that world um, and spent so much time just kind of like uh, poking at the edges and just exploring what was like available because it seems when you play it and we'll talk about this later but like it seems when you play it like there's nothing except for the colossi and like the first time you accidentally come upon something that's not that and is like a game mechanic that you didn't even know existed that could happen like never or it could happen like right at the beginning of your playthrough like it could happen really wherever but as soon as you know that there's like a possibility space there that like isn't really projected in any way there's no like tool tip that's like why don't you try doing this that really kind of like unhooks your brain uh from what you think the game is and and kind of like forces you into this like i don't know like treasure hunting mode which i really enjoyed uh so i played that game a lot a lot a lot and then eventually uh somebody like took my copy you know it was like one of those cases where i like lent it to Mm -hmm. someone i like literally never got it back so 
I didn't play Shadow of the Colossus after it launched um, until this week when I got the Blue Point remake, which I had never played. Oh my God. It's so good, isn't it? It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's yeah. So good. I was like shocked. I. Look, Blue Point is good at their jobs, and like we know that at this point. I, I just played the Demon Souls uh, remake recently on the PS5, and like really loved it. Like I, I'm a fan of their work, but I just I was somehow even more shocked by Shadow of the Colossus than I was by like Demon Souls. It's really a great way to play that game. I played uh, half of it for this for this episode. Uh, I got yeah. through eight of the Colossi, and that said, I just remember so much about the rest of the game that I didn't really feel like I needed to play the rest of it. I wanted to take that time that I was going to put into finishing Shadow of the Colossus and put it into The Last Guardian just for like context. So I played the yeah. first, I like went back and replayed the first few Colossus in the PS2 version, and then cool. I streamed the first three on the PS4 version. Um, yeah. And yeah, I would say like the PS2 one still plays pretty well. I mean, we'll get into like how they play in a bit, but I would say like if you haven't played either game, the best entry point is definitely just get the PS4 Shadow Colossus, I think. Like it's so good. It yeah. really is a shot for shot remake. And while I think both games are worth playing, it will definitely be an easier introduction to this like uh what do you call a tr- series that's just two games? What's a, a duology? Not, a duology. I was gonna say duology. This duology or just this team's work, you know, including last guardian here yeah um they also have a rumored fourth game in the works that we don't know anything about but i mean that's exciting yeah uh, yeah the first like image of it popped up in 2018 so given uh gen designs like track record of making games that could mean that it would be out next year or it could be out in another like five or six years so right <laughs> uh, who knows we're at least three years deep in a potential hype cycle for the fourth game by this team so that's nice yeah i remember uh, uh last guardian was also in development for a long time because that's supposed to be i think a ps3 game that that was like everyone thought it was gonna be vaporware kind of thing that was like <laughs> kingdom hearts 3 like final fantasy 15 right. situation for the longest yeah. time yeah that's actually why i didn't play it at launch when last guardian came out i was like so done waiting for it that i had like come out the other end and all my excitement had essentially been like sapped from me i was just like i didn't care anymore and yeah. and again a huge fan of shadow of the colossus like really loved that game was really looking forward to last guardian when it was announced and then eventually it dropped and i was just like eh, i don't know i'll i'm playing other stuff um <laughs> just never checked it out and now you know many years removed from that uh going back and playing it it's like oh man i should have played this i'm an idiot <laughs> whoops hey Whenever you get to something, there's no rush. Yeah, true. But yeah, I think before we go into, I think we're going to talk about like Ico and then Shadow the Colossus as like a, their own kind of segments. But in this time, before we get into specifics, I'd love to talk about like the impact. I mean, we'll talk about this throughout the whole episode regarding the impact these games have had. But I think what's really worth talking about is that like in the time you and I are making the show, the question, are games art, I think is kind of like not relevant anymore. Like anyone who still asks that is just not really like up to date on games. I'm not saying that in a judgmental way, but like surely if you doubt that games can be art, you just have not been paying attention to games, you know, or you just don't trust them. And And that, that was true in the earliest instances of people asking that question but is like way more true now than ever before you know what i mean right well and and that's actually an incredible point that's kind of what i was going to get to because i think that like so eco came out in 2001 this team's first game and uh when you read discussions at that time about the game what you see a lot and it's almost kind of a backhanded compliment is like this is like one of the few games that you can truly call a work of art you know 
I actually think there's a you sent me the Guillermo del Toro quote where he says the only two games I consider are Art Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, which masterpieces, is, not art. Oh, masterpieces. Okay, sorry, Guillermo. Roger <laughs> Ebert though did say games can never be art, and people just sent him screenshots of Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, very, very famously, that his his uh, quote about that was like in conjunction with Shadow of the Colossus releasing. Oh, that's funny. But anyway, I think that. Um, for so long, like the marketing behind games was that they were some kind of toy. And even like the earliest version of games was like in the arcades and, and the Atari stuff. And other there weren't like, I think you can say that like, you know, Centipede or Galaga are still works of art, even though they're not like telling a story. They're still like yeah. a creation you're engaging with. But I understand that like someone whose perception and understanding of what games are was that would struggle to understand that like there is a way to tell stories through a game that is unique to games themselves. I always bring this example up, but it's like when you study film history, the really, really early films were just like people doing magic tricks and they would like record stage plays and not to dismiss those films, but like they didn't yet know what you can do unique to film. So people saw films largely as like a novelty, you know, like it was a fun little thing, but it wasn't how, how could it ever be like Shakespeare or whatever? And obviously Mm -hmm. we've learned that like, you can have both. Both things can be art. I think with the whole our games art conversation is like the people who had been playing games like Ocarina of Time and Final Fantasy VII and, you know, uh, Metal Gear Solid. I mean, I'm just naming names, but like there are so <laughs> many kind of like landmark games that people still talk about before Eco came out. But you kind of had to be like either like growing up with them or in the industry somehow. And at that time, a lot of the most like powerful older voices were kind of outside of that world, you know? So like there was still like a very kind of closed mind to games being anything more than like a juvenile pastime because of like the discussions that were being had about them. And that's a really big conversation. But I think that like it wasn't until like more recently that like that really started to change. I mean, I think like by recently, I think like the past like 15 years, but like, you know, I think like for the first half of my life being a kid, even in college, like there was something inherently juvenile associated with games so that they were a waste of time, you know, like that's something I still hear. And it's like the people who tell you that are the ones that watch like the worst TV constantly or whatever. Like, (laughs) you know, I'm not judging them for that. It's like everyone has a pastime and there are games that I wouldn't put on the same pedestal as others, but it's like, anyway, our thoughts on that subject are known and I consider it not really even a conversation worth having at this point in time. But I think that what's really miraculous is that even in the early 2000s, when that was a case that was harder to make in a mainstream spotlight, these two games kind of transcended that perception. Yeah, and I think it's because absolutely. the design philosophy, even the creator said in 2001, the plan with Eco is like to be as least like other games as possible in some ways <laughs> based on the negative perception around them. I mean, this is the era of like early PS2, like early God of War stuff, you know, like there was right. a lot of Mountain Dew energy going on and not yeah, even the, to dismiss the year this those game games, came out but... was like the same year. I think uh, as you were just mentioning, I think God of War one might have been that year. Maybe maybe that's a little bit later, but I do know that Grand Theft Auto three came out in the same year. Halo one came out in the same year. Like it was a big year for video games uh, and a lot of the games that 
we think of from 2001 are so unlike Eco. Yeah. Um, it's like shocking to look at that list. Right. Um, and again, like they, I, I want to drill the point that there were great games before and during that time. But I think like the conversations around them are very different. And again, I was also 11. So take that for what you will. <laughs> anyway, to kind of sum up like what each game is before we get into them later, Eco is... I would say like the elevator pitch is like minimalist Zelda where like you are this young kid uh, who is um, helping this young girl escape a dungeon that is largely like big empty rooms with like beautiful but kind of somber scenery. Almost no music, very few cutscenes, And Eco like straight up doesn't tell you how to play it. Like there are no like push to do this even shadow of the colossus gives you button prompts yeah. there's nothing in eco there's like not you, even a hud there's not there's no like <laughs> there's no like life bar there's not there's like literally nothing they just drop you into the game and then you're just playing it you just got to figure out what all the buttons do it it's minimalism taken to an extreme it's shocking we'll talk yeah. about that more in the yeah. later but yeah so it, but it's largely a puzzle game and i think it it will get into why i think it resonated with so many people but it's so unlike the kind of you know in the ps2 i think there was this excitement to like utilize the hardware to like be more cinematic and, and yeah. all that and this game is actually very cinematic but in a very different way and in a way i think that like you really would only see in like experimental film <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, this the way that this game handles telling a story through a cinematic lens is like so ahead of its time that it feels modern playing it now still in ways yeah. that I was like really fucking shocked by. I'll, I'll just say this because like, you know, before we even get into like the spoilers or anything about it, if you haven't played Eco, go play Eco. I had like what I've been describing to Steven off the show is like a like a religious experience playing this game. It yeah. is unreal how good it is. Yeah. I simultaneously feel like a fool for having not played it earlier. Uh, but at the same time, I'm just glad I played it at all. And I really can't wait to talk more about it. But yeah, you, you really got to the heart of it. It's it's just like a, a kid with horns uh, leads a like a glowing girl through a, a Zelda dungeon. That's all puzzles and there are no button prompts. Um, yeah. And like, that's the game. That's that's the pitch. Just know that, like, even though that's all the pitch is, it's really good. Yeah. So I think, like, I think one of the reasons they, like, stuck out so much at the time was that Eco is the sort of cosmic opposite of a lot of game design and thought at that time. And then Shadow of the Colossus feels less like a response and more just, like, here's what the future can look like. Like, that game is so ahead of its time in, like, every way that playing it now is, like, you really, like, I think Eco, you can see what led to the game and what it's commenting on and what it's, like, kind of rearranging almost. Right. And Shadow of the Colossus is more like, okay, I've actually taken a step above everyone else and now I'm, like, (laughs) looking at how you can make a game going forward. And I think the reason it was probably the bigger hit, one, they actually marketed it. It had like a marketing campaign and it's a pretty easy sell. I mean, Eco is, you know, glowing girl in a puzzle dungeon is like a little bit obtuse, whereas, you know, you're just fighting giant colossi. That's like a pretty easy Yeah, the pitch pitch. is so easy. It's just you're, you're a small man with sword and it's only boss fights. Yeah. Like that's the game. And it's so easy to market that. And visually you don't even need, like you don't even need to say anything. You just need to show an image of like, the guy with the sword, like the wanderer with the sword looking at any of the colossi and like that could be the screenshot, that could be the whole ad and like, yeah, that's what the game is because I think in a lot of instances you would see something like that, especially in that era specifically, you would see an image like that and you'd be like, okay, cool, that's like a cool screenshot from a cutscene, but like what's the game? It's like, no, 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 that's gameplay. That's what the game looks like, that's what the game is. You have to do exactly what you think you have to do. You have to climb that fucking thing and stab it in the head Um, and that's, 
rad. And I get I get why this was a bigger hit because it's much easier to market. I do think Eco is like in in a lot of ways um just like almost too ambient for its own good you know <laughs> yeah, like it's like a dream you have yeah yeah you, you look at the marketing of that thing as you and i have joked about a lot off the show in preparation for this but like some of some of the like copy that was written for this game is like so silly and it's like i i i don't envy the person who had to write the back of the box quote that i think you're about to read <laughs> so uh, worth noting too, eco like the cover of this game in the game that was released in europe and japan is like this beautiful painting that was done by the game's creator in the u.s they somehow saw that pa- someone saw that painting and said no and then presented like this weird like reboot 3d animation-esque picture of the kid doing a dreamworks eyebrow raise holding a stick and it it's just awful like it's really horrible if a relative of yours gifted you this game you would be upset like, <laughs> this is what you think i like then on the back of the i'm holding it right now on the back of the box it says solve the puzzles or join the tormented souls forever which like to me that is like the most 2001 american way to pitch this beautiful work of art right like who played eco and said like that's the pitch i mean i know we said guy ghost girl out of puzzle dungeon but like that's better than solve the puzzles or join the tormented souls forever right because like to be clear the game doesn't have like lose states or anything like if you like fall and die there's no like game over screen that's like you fucked up you fucked up it's like you just kind of like go back and do it again there's no there there really aren't stakes on that level you know like i i, I just find it very silly um to to see the game described in that way and and honestly i don't know what i would have done in the position of the person who had to write that either though that's because, true like, the game the game honestly to me at least like defies description in like like a little blurb like that you know i I think it'd be very hard to actually like market that game at that time specifically yeah Um, but 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 even now i don't know how i would do it whereas again shadow of the colossus very easy very easy to market that game and that's why i think i was so excited about it when it came out was like i saw it in a magazine was like yeah i want to do that i want to climb that thing i want to i want (laughs) to i want to ride that weird bird and stab it in the wing like that sounds sick and uh Boy, did I do that. I, I I agree. And I think it's also the reason why Shadow Colossus was the better success financially as well. But uh, yeah, do you want to get into the game specific sections now? Or do you have more I to really say do. like yeah. overall? Yeah, I think we're about to get there. So this will end our spoiler free section. Uh, although honestly, like, again, these games are so abstract. There isn't there's not like going to be like a it was all a dream, you know? Uh, yeah, it's but, really like the last 30 minutes of eco that can be spoiled. And everything we're going to talk about uh, until then is really just running around a puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> but if somehow we've sold you on these two games or if you had an interest in playing them but haven't gotten to them yet and you don't want you want to go in completely fresh that I would just highly recommend playing both these games. You know, I, I really think like they are worth experiencing, even if they may not be like a genre you gravitate towards. I think that like there's a lot to appreciate just objectively about them. And I think everyone's going to have their own sort of personal experience like emotionally with them. Which yeah. I think is like, I would encourage everyone and would want everyone to have that with these two games. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be totally honest, I forgot how much of an emotional attachment I had to Shadow of the Colossus until I started playing it again. Like, I yeah. I completely forgotten, like, the hours I sunk into it, the amount of time I spent running around that world and, like, uncovering that map and whatever. Um, and uh, honestly, just had a very similar experience with Eco. And uh, 
I, I want to talk about it. Uh, I've been, I've been wanting to talk about it all week. So let's just let's, <laughs> let's do it. So here's the plan. Eco, Shadow of the Colossus. And then we're going to do some of the questions uh, you all sent us. Yes. Very excited for that. We also, uh, you opened the floor to like any questions at all. So we have a mix of like game related questions and just like questions in general. So that could be kind of fun. Oh, okay, cool. That's yeah. exciting. All right. Nice. <laughs> you didn't remember. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> hey, I've had a busy week. That's true. Uh, okay, cool. Let's do it. See you soon. Goodbye. Steven, the year is 2001. I'm in fourth grade and Eco is out. I didn't play it because I didn't have a PS2. What are you Brendan, up to? Brendan, uh, the year is 2001. I'm in sixth grade and Eco is out and I didn't play it because I don't have a PS2. But I do have a GameCube. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so what GameCube game are we talking about? Kirby the Air Ride? <laughs> I was trying to think. That was like, was that the first year? I think the GameCube came out 2000. But I remember having like, the best birthday sleepover of my life, getting a GameCube and playing Melee all night with my friends. Oh, yeah. Um, that's still the best night, I think, ever. But, like, right when it came out, it was, like, shocking. Uh, I also had Luigi's Mansion, which I made them watch me play, which was, you know, it's my fucking birthday. So. <laughs> it's, it's a classic, like, it's my birthday and all my friends are at my house move is, like, play the single player game. My most evil birthday, which I think I'll have to answer for in the next life, is uh, <laughs> when I turned 13, I had a bunch of friends over who stayed over. We stayed up all night. And then in the early in the morning, I wanted to watch uh, Planet of the Apes, the fifth one. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I, we had anchovy and spinach pizza the oh, night before. Oh my god, is this real? <laughs> yeah. So we had anchovy and spinach pizza, and then I put on the fifth Planet of the Apes, and like everyone fell asleep like immediately, like for the first time. Like we were up all night, and then I just like ruined my own party. Oh my god. <laughs> based on my weird taste. Well, at least it wasn't eco. <laughs> Imagine if you put Eco so, on in your sixth grade birthday party. It would have been a bigger hit, I think, actually. You well, think I don't so? know. Maybe not. But anyway, um, oh. Eco. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, What's no. That? Climb the chain. Climb the chain. <laughs> what are you fucking doing? <laughs> Un toi? Un toi? Actually, if I, play, if I played on my sixth grade birthday, we just would have said Un toi all Un toi? night. Un toi? Un toi? <laughs> Un toi? Which is uh, what Eco says when he calls over Yorda yeah. um, in the fictional language of the game. But uh, yeah, so we have now both played Eco. <laughs> We're going to do our best to talk about it. Uh, what would you think? I mean, uh, we touched on that already, but I'd just love to know like from like start to finish, like what was your thought process while playing it? I know you mentioned you had a religious experience <laughs> or something akin to it, but yeah. I'd love to just hear your thoughts on it. I mean, like, truly, Stephen, I, I don't know where it, like, places, because I, I don't, this isn't a real list that exists, but, like, easily, like, one of my favorite games ever, having played it Yes, now. I'm so happy I, to hear I, that. I loved my time with this game so much. I was, like, shocked, like, from go. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm running around, and there are no buttons, Okay. What happens when I pull this lever? Oh, a thing happens. Okay, that's nice. So now I know the circle button, like, lets me pull a lever. Okay. And then just, like, slowly and over the course of the next, like, hour, you start to learn what all the buttons do and pretty much every interaction that, that Eco has as he runs around the castle. And the story unfolds in a way that I thought was, like, miraculous. Um, I, I thought that like the minimalist vibe of this game was like, like a, a, a shot to 
my adrenaline, like my like creative adrenaline. I just oh, like yeah. playing this game and knowing how how much thought went into how little exists here really was like an eye opening thing for me. I I was really really blown away by like pretty much every moment of it. There, look, I'm gonna be honest. Again, 2001 video game. I got my gripes. There are things I don't like about it. Um, there are instances in which this like minimalist aesthetic and this design philosophy like went too far, and there are instances in which I don't think it went far enough. Um, and it's really interesting to like read a little bit more about the development of this game. Know like some of the stuff that was supposed to be in here that got cuts know some of the things that like got added uh for various reasons but like overall as a package like this felt like game design school like this felt like not only am i having this like really like emotionally wrought like narrative experience but i'm also like learning how to make better art and i don't just mean video games i just mean like art in general uh, by playing this thing and it's like no small wonder to me anymore like why this game has like rippled out and inspired like everything i love i mean you and i this is the second episode that we've recorded today in the first episode that we recorded today i talked about fez and some of the inspiration that eco had on phil fish the designer of fez fez is like also one of my favorite games of all time and is like so much of fez is just like ripped out of the design tenets of eco and like going back and playing this and knowing like this came out in 2001 holy shit like really rocked my world i think to know that like this game has just been lingering in the background inspiring some of my favorite games like ever and also knowing now that it's rippled out and inspired some like great like other media right like Guillermo del toro loves eco apparently yeah. replays eco all the time and like uses the the i'm gonna say it design by subtraction philosophy in like his own work and i've been a big fan of his work for a long time and now and i kind of like see where that inspiration lies now i i just i just think it's it's fucking miraculous man i i, I yeah. love this game so much i can't wait to talk more about it um what, what did you think where did you come at it oh my god i'm so happy to hear that i really loved it too i think um i didn't really know what to expect i didn't even really know like what type of game it was like i just knew its name and yeah, that it was either, like really. the first game that kind of led to shadow of the colossus so i i think having like the experience with shadow of the colossus and kind of knowing like what the vibe of of this team's games are like helped me a little bit because it opens uh there are these horsemen that all have their faces like masked or wrapped up and they're carrying this young kid with horns uh, really, again, with like design by subtraction, I think like anything that's on camera is super important. Yes. And like the kid is sort of wearing like a very similar like... I guess like cape or tunic that the Wanderer is wearing in Shadow of the Colossus. Mm. And um, he has horns spreading out of his head, but his head is kind of wrapped in a bandage. You can see like the bandage is like a little bloody. So to me, that either means like he's been trying to keep them like wrapped up for like a long time or they maybe just grew out. And, you know, like Mm. uh, whatever. So either way, they're like having a horned like... A kid born with horns is a bad omen. Uh, we're going to leave you. They, they gallop to this like, you know, isolated temple of sorts and they put him in this kind of it's like a big open kind of uh, stone castle full of these like small totems or caskets even and uh they open one up and they put eco inside and there's also like inside this kind of storage device there are um like what like you would see like in hunchback of notre dame like the uh the wooden things that like hold your hands in place oh yeah Um, 
So they put him in there and like, forgive us, but it's for the good of the village. And they just leave him in there. And then by chance, there's something that kind of shakes the castle and Eco like falls and that thing opens up. And the game is just like, now you have control of him. Like you wouldn't even know unless you like waited a minute. Right. <laughs> like yeah. That's where the game starts. Which is what I did. I was just watching. Yeah. It. I was like, okay, what's next? Oh shit. Move. Okay. Right. And like you said, like you kind of, you're going to just wander around and soak in the sights and eventually you're going to find a switch. And, and I think what this game does really well, it's maybe the only game in 2001, but the only game for like a long time where the camera really helps. Like mm-hmm. even more, like the camera is actually kind of frustrating in Shadow of the Colossus sometimes. In Eco, it's like, first of all, you have control over it. So as you're moving with the left stick, with the right stick, you can like actually just move the camera independently of even where the character is to kind of like peek around the environment. Right. But if you just let it go on its own, like it will always kind of pivot around to like anything that's in the frame is like going to help you out to progress. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I, whenever I kind of got stuck, I always thought about that. So that's like the opening hours and, and you know, quickly you learn what the buttons do they're not telling you i think it works for this game i think in shadow of the colossus it's good that they do tell you what the buttons do because like you need to at least know that to then take on the colossus they don't tell you how to beat the colossus which is important but they tell you okay here's how to attack here's how to roll kind of thing yeah i thought Ico was really lovely i think it really comes together in the end i think that there's there were maybe a couple moments like in the beginning and in the middle that i like felt a little frustrated but it never got in the way and it never like there was literally like whenever i got stuck you know eventually i looked at a guide because you know we're getting a little bit close to recording and there was only one i checked the, i checked a guide three times and two times i was like oh that's cool that's clever i didn't i would have eventually gotten that but i didn't think of it right away but there was one time where i was like i would have never known that like, <laughs> <laughs> so you know like you said it has it has that but overall i'm actually like really amazed at how well it plays it plays better than the first uncharted and it has like very similar like climbing and you know jumping mechanics and of course eventually eco meets yorda who is this girl that's in a cage above where he was and even though they can't understand each other they quickly like team up to escape the palace together so a lot of the game is like your only real like game over state is if Yorda gets captured by these like shadowy spirits that pop up and in the beginning you have a stick that lets you fight them off I will say this this is probably the main point of tension we both have with the game I actually think that in the beginning the fights are really compelling because like mm. you know you're you're told that you're, if Yorda gets taken by them it's game over and it's also kind of a scary scene like everything kind of gets voided out in like a mysterious way so the stakes are given and you know seeing like the, the really human animations of like both these kids like running away uh, there's a central mechanic of you holding Yorda's hand to like guide her somewhere else like she'll walk on her own but like a lot of the game you're kind of dragging her around which yeah, like you're, hold, you're holding the R2 <laughs> button down the whole time it feels so much to me like a Death Stranding kind of thing where yes. like the triggers hold on to each strap of, of uh, your backpack um, and, and the stuff that you're carrying with you I mean very similar vibe here and honestly like I can't I can't list maybe any other game that kind of has that kind of mechanic. Cause like th- this idea that like you are as the player holding on to Yorda's hand the whole time, I thought was like really, really compelling. And it's, I, I think one of the things I would really want to like harp on with this game and, and just the design of this game specifically is the, the intentionality behind some of those like, 
button placements on the controller, which is like a weird thing to say. But the fact that like holding R2 holds Yorda's hand throughout the entire time at any point as she gets taken by a shadow, you kind of know intuitively as she's getting like dragged into this like black hole kind of pit thing. Like, OK, I'm using R2 to hold her hand. So that means that R2 is like to grab Yorda's hand at any time. And like the first time that I was like, I need to save her. I need to save her. I need to save her. It was it wasn't even a conscious thought that went through my head. It was like a completely like subliminal unconscious move to run up and smash the R2 button as hard as yeah. I could to grab her hand and then pull her out and i think that's the biggest success of eco to me overall like not not just in that one specific instance but overall is like the humanity of the game yeah i think it feels so natural at all points anytime you're running around and you come upon an object like the the human instinct is to like mess with it in some way and anytime you mess with anything you're actually progressing your own progress in a in a puzzle like it's it's actually helpful for you to like play around with things as if it's a toy box at all times even though it's literally like a life or death situation for these kids anytime you see a chain and you climb it like that's helpful for you anytime you see a box and you push it that's helpful for you anytime you see a lever and you pull it that's going to be helpful for you everything that you can interact with feels like the way you would interact with it in real life. And that's kind of why I think they get away with not having any HUD, no on-screen prompts for anything, not even like button placement or anything like that. It really just is like you as like the player experiencing this world exactly as you would were you in Eco's shoes. And I think there are a lot of games that kind of fail at that by abstracting through too many on-screen elements, too many things going on with how you can interact with the world. I, I found that throughout the course of this game there was never a point where like something happened in an unexpected way or or in a way that that i i wouldn't think that that would happen in real life i guess yeah and and considering it's like a a bizarre fantasy world where you're fighting like shadowy owls with a stick like that's really (laughs) impressive you know yeah and i I think even the way the shadow creatures move is like very unsettlingly human like they'll Mm -hmm. scurry around and like away and the way they carry yorda um i'll say this so like i mentioned earlier the fights are like really nerve-wracking and really cinematic in in key moments but there are twice as many battle moments as there need to be in this game like i think that this is where you might have said before the design by subtraction didn't go far enough in some places like there are some sections of the game that feel like they felt the need just to throw in shadow demons and and like sometimes it is just kind of exhausting you know where it's like you just completed a puzzle and oh they're here and it's like i didn't need that really like i actually think it the best moments of this game are really like the moments in between those actions. I think my favorite sequence in the game is you get outside and there's this like kind of half working windmill. Oh yeah. And you and Yorda are there and Yorda, Yorda can only climb to certain places. So like actually some of my favorite puzzles are like, okay, how do we get Yorda to get to where we can get now? You know? So like there are a lot of things to like push and pull and then to be reunited. So in the windmill thing, it's like a really short sequence, but you're climbing a windmill. It also feels the most like weirdly the most a shadow of the Colossus, like the way you climb the windmill has (laughs) like the ridges and stuff that you would see later on the Colossus back. But um, as you're climbing the windmill, you might fall down a couple times. But in this section, there's like a big body of water right below where the game knows you're going to fall for a couple times. And like yours is sort of there watching you. And it feels like, again, just like a really human moment of like both games. We'll talk about this more shadow of the classes later, but like both games are so good at like making it really feel like you have the exact 
qualifications of a human being. Like mm-hmm. this is like how a young boy would be able to climb this windmill and like because of that it really does feel like you did it at the end of it but you know you're climbing once you get to this side there's a couch there which you know i think we've both been kind of sacredly putting this off the (laughs) the save points in this game are these like stone tablet couches that when you and yorda yorda has to be there too when you both sit down eco's sitting there like kind of trying to look cool i always read it as like he's like kind of slouched and he's like sitting like kind of trying to look indifferent and you're just sort of relaxed looking at him and when you sit down for the first time you're like why is there a couch in this game this is so silly they sit down and then the prompt to save comes up and like one of the most beautiful songs either of us has ever heard starts playing and the game like knows you're just gonna let that moment sit like as long as you want to you know like you save and the song plays and even when you're done saving the characters don't immediately get up they might just be sitting there for as long as you want to let that moment go on yeah it's so hard to put into words, but that moment is like weirdly the thing that kept me going for most of the game. Mm. Like even in the like, okay, I got to fight like 18 million shadow demons with a stick. And when I finally get the secret weapon that makes short work of the demons, they throw it away anyway. <laughs> and I use a stick again. <laughs> uh, but like even in all those frustrations, I look forward to those moments of just like true peace. And I think... This might be my own read on it, and and again, I imagine the creator would welcome this, but like the save points to me are so again, the whole game, like there's only music in the very beginning, the very end, and at the save points. Yeah. And the save points are like such a giant relief for like both the characters and the player that like I always imagined because there's no real like there's very little dialogue between the two characters. All we're really getting is like Eco dragging her around, you know, trying to get her away from right. demons. There's also a language barrier between the two. Eco and, right. and Yorda speak different languages. Whenever Yorda speaks, there's like cool hieroglyphics that show up. What I really like too, when I first when I first noticed the hand holding mechanic, I in- initially was just running, and when you run with her, she like kind of looks scared and is like not really able to keep up. And I always felt bad. Like I was like, am I dragging her? Like this is this feels really weird. Mm-hmm. So I almost always walked with her mm-hmm. when we when we were together and it like really changed the the dynamic of the scene because when you walk it feels like he's not just holding her hand to like drag her around but he's holding her hand to like know she's there and that because he's also scared you know like yeah totally. she's much taller than him seemingly older too and yeah. like i think he's like you know leading with a stick there's a kind of like a don quixote vibe about eco just like mm-hmm. he has nothing he's got devil horns and a stick and he's trying to help this person he doesn't know but i just like i thought that the moments that they actually share the moments that matter are the ones that are like up to you when you're not playing the game like Mm. in my head it's like the moments where they really get to connect as people and they don't have to worry about puzzles or demons or when you're not playing the game because they're just hanging out on the couch you know so like to me that was almost like the ultimate design by subtraction of like we're not going to cheapen this relationship by showing you those moments we're going to let you like think of them yourself when you're not playing just by leaving you with this song you yeah. know that that to me is That's like, interesting that, that kind of feeds into yeah. my my read on on the save points as well which is essentially like the reason that the save points are the only spot that have music really throughout the entirety of the yeah. game is literally to remove you from the game like the fact that yeah. the music comes in and first like as you mentioned just a gorgeous piece of music i i have listened to it on repeat for like hours this week i'm literally listening to it right now as we're recording i i think that like that song coming in being so strikingly beautiful and and like having the the 
bench by itself be like such a strange oddity, like visually in comparison to the rest of the architecture of the castle and the, and the stuff around it really just like drives home for me. Like this is supposed to be the moment when, when Ueda is like, I don't want you playing the game anymore. Like you, you've come to this bench, you've sat down, this music is playing, you've saved your game. Now leave. And then when you come back, that music also reminds you, like when you, when you're back in the game, the music reminds you of eco again. Like it reminds you of the game. So it, it does like double duty as both breaking that immersion that you have and then reimmersing you in it later when you return to the game, which I, th- I think is fucking brilliant. It uh, is. I, I was just like so shocked by it. And I, I yeah. wanted to bring all that up because in this windmill sequence, you see a couch, but Yorda isn't able to get to where you are yet. Right. So you have to lower a bridge and then she's there waiting for you. And then you can get to the couch together. Mm-hmm. And like that little windmill scene is like weirdly like the whole game story. You know, like it's yeah. it's sort of like this, um, like you said, there's this language barrier. There's this like constant like disconnect between these two characters that are like just trying to get away. Like it's really like they just want to be able to live their life. Like they have almost opposite uh, punishments where like Eco is banished from his village for being a kid with horns and essentially left to die like in this thing that he manages to escape by chance. And y- Yordo, you learn later, you meet the queen of the castle, who's a great villain. Yeah. Uh, and she basically, Yorda's her daughter and she's trying to basically make her vessel so that the queen can be alive forever. Like a very classic like fairy tale villain sort of thing. Right. Where, um, yeah. Gonna sap the youth out of this person. Right. But that's like, to me, that's like, you know, the, the scenes with the queen are fun, but they're like not why I love the game. And there's only like a couple of them. She's just sort of there as like the threat and sort of like the cosmic force that's like keeping you here. Like there's a point in the game where you're like at the front gate and the queen shows up and really her role in that scene is not to like be like, ha ha ha, my power. I mean, she's kind of doing that. Yeah. But she's also like, Yorda can't live outside the castle. Like that's like kind of revealed that like, even if you escape, this girl has no place in the outside world. Like yeah. you're from two different worlds. You're a boy with horns and she's like basically a ghost in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I thought that like, I found myself, even in the frustrating moments, just like so immersed in this game and like caring so much about these two characters, despite them not saying anything, like literally. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's I think I, the thing that has gone unsaid so far in, in, in this conversation is like all of all of this minimalism that we're talking about, ev- everything in regards to like very few uh, actions that the player can take in, in terms of like the way that y- Yorda and Iko both have to sit on the bench together to be able to save things like that. The reason that that minimalism exists is to serve the greater purpose of like instilling in the player, instilling in you this idea that these two are forming a bond in their attempted escape. Like the whole game, everything that every decision that was made essentially comes down to does this make the bond between Eco and Yorda stronger or not? And if it didn't, they removed it from the video game. At a, there was a certain point where like there were other characters from the village that showed up in the castle. Like all of those are gone. There were like merchants and shops and stuff where you could, like buy stuff. Like all of that's gone because none of that matters. Introducing any other character is just a distraction from these two that you're supposed to care about. The only character that really should exist outside of the two of them is the queen. So they have a common enemy to like bond even more over essentially, right. which I think is incredible. The, uh, do you mind if I like really go into one specific segment of the game that like really fucked Please, me up? I actually was going to ask, cause I think like, I'd love to hear what moments sit with you and then we can t- talk about the ending together. Yeah. And that's like the, the final act of this game is really, I think what kind of sums it all up. I, I think the moment where I realized this game was like 
essentially pulling a magic trick on me um, <laughs> was the moment when you get to the front gate and you like actually escape or like you begin to escape and you start to run across the bridge because like as you're running right in the beginning as you're running uh, and you're holding on to Yorda's hand I don't know if this happened to you uh, considering you're walking in everywhere but like she can't keep up she keeps falling down yeah, yeah. The, the closer you get to uh, crossing the bridge and getting away from the castle like she continues to fall down over and over again and there's this moment when you get outside and you're crossing this bridge with Yorda and um, these like two uh, almost like Tesla coil adjacent things that are like they have this like magic lightning energy essentially kind of like zap the bridge uh, and and cause it to start uh, separating it, it, it you know it starts like retracting essentially from the castle uh, and in so doing splits Eco and Yorda apart and it passes like like it's like five seconds and you will like not even realize that it happened until it's already over. But there's like five seconds where the bridge is separating. Yorda is on one side of the bridge and Eco is on the other. And they give you as the player control of the character for like five seconds. And in those five seconds, your choices are jump across the bridge or continue to ride the bridge out because you escaped. And like what person has ever played this game and and not jumped back towards Yorda? You know, right. you spend this entire right. game trying to escape this castle and you are given that and every person subconsciously like not not there's not enough time to think really every person yeah. subconsciously in that amount of time when you're given control of the character will jump back at Yorda and she grabs your hand and pulls you back up and then you're back in the castle again that was like jaw dropping like holy shit like this is the kind of moment that probably inspired like 800 other moments I've played in other video games unsuccessfully you know yeah. like, <laughs> um it really seals the deal. I mean, because so yeah. often the goal in a game is is some kind of MacGuffin. And like like you said, you're offered escape, but everyone who's playing it like cares more about what happens to the two of them, not one of them. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you, you you need to be together. It's also the first time that Yorda like picks you up, although yes. unsuccessfully. Yes. But like I, I was really happy to see that. But uh, yeah, uh, you know what's funny, Brendan? That's when my game stopped working, like literally right after the scene. <laughs> oh, no. And I was like, is, is, the, is the queen like ruining my copy of the game? Oh, so, my like, God. Yeah, literally. I, that's what I meant before. I said this before, like it was like the worst time for the game to crash. And it was that moment. Oh, man. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, that that moment, like really, I, I think like you could encapsulate the brilliance of the whole game in that one like five second span i think um, i agree it, it yeah. really shocked me because like i'm the i am very much the kind of person who will go against my own first instinct to see if the game has like planned another one you know just to like see just to like yeah press up against like what the narrative design is of certain things you know i think like the the, the million different things that hades has accounted for is like a good example of that which is like you yeah. play hades like a billion different ways and there's like an answer for everything like and there's, what like, if i steal from charon right or and there's like yeah. dialogue for all of it and there's like new encounters and new things to do for all of it and like that's very much like my shit like i really love that not even a thought in this game i haven't even like googled it i don't even know what happens because i don't care it doesn't matter to me like what, yeah. what mattered to me was the bond between these two kids and like making sure that that yorda was okay also um yeah and that is like so powerful especially because yeah. again there's almost no dialogue in this thing like there's no dialogue yeah. between eco and yorda that's like even remotely meaningful because it's all you know nonsense to the other person they don't understand right. each other at all outside of the actions that you as the player have have uh 
kind of like forced uh, to unfold throughout the course of your playtime. You know, like you are the person who's creating that bond by all the things that you've done. It, it, it has nothing to do with cutscenes or dialogue or anything like that. So the fact that like without me even realizing, I cared a lot about the two of them so much so that in that moment I was willing to throw away the end goal of escaping to go back to her was like rad. I mean, it was yeah. it's really cool. And again, for a game released in 2001, like there was nothing like that happening in 2001, you know, yeah. <laughs> man, right. Really powerful, really powerful. No shade on Kingdom Hearts, obviously. Yeah. Um, which by the way, Kingdom Hearts, my disc stopped working right at the last boss, which is a bummer. Oh no. Walking into Ansem, the room. Yeah. You got me again, Ansem. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So do you want to talk about the like last kind of act of this game? I'd love to go into detail on that. Yeah, sure. Um, so basically just to sum up, I guess the plot, you know, you two are trying to escape the castle. We reach this moment, which is like the big, like kind of end of act two sad moment. Yeah. Um, Ego falls into like water and ends up in like a, (laughs) like an area where he's by himself essentially for the first time throughout the entire game. Right. And, and and it's almost, I mean, you really, even though a lot of the game is like helping Yorda, like you do eventually feel like you're two parts of the same character because you need both of them to do things like Yorda can open doors that Ico can't and, you know, vice versa. But uh, you're like in this kind of creepy castle underground. And eventually I love the architecture here because they're like these weird, like circular things hanging from a chain. They're like very uh, unstable platforms. Like I, you know, as as harrowing as the place is there's something very pleasant about the castle even when like there are you know shadow demons popping up like yes i often would just walk while holding hands and just like look at what was happening and like that's i think one of my favorite things about both games like you can just like really choose to let a moment sit if you want or like really just focus on like you'll be like drawn by one part of the scenery yeah yeah even on the ps2 and specifically that lack of music that we keep referring to makes way for this like really incredible ambiance in all of these locations that we're talking about like inside the castle is like literally just like room tone wind and like you can hear like chains rattling sometimes you know because it's like a castle that probably was used for something at some point in history and like is really no longer being used for anything except i guess sacrificing kids with horns uh and also like (laughs) having like an evil queen in it um so yeah it's not it's not a great place to be uh, and that that gives way to the moments when you finally get like outside right and you're like outside doing things when you're like by the windmill or whatever and it's just like wind beautiful uh lighting and like birds and you can hear like waves and stuff like anytime you get to go outside is like like very literally a fresh a breath of fresh air which is really wonderful and then of course you know, this like damp, decrepit, like, I don't know, like sewage system, like like yeah. classic sewer level in anything. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, right before we get into it real quick, I just remembered a moment that I loved where um, it's an optional thing. If you in one like kind of outdoor area, if you hit a tree, you get this like stone that falls out. Yeah. And then in the building nearby, there's like an invisible wall you can push to reveal a door uh, or not invisible, but like the wall itself is like a rotating door. And in that room, there's like this like trophy shaped statue that you can throw the ball into. And if you do that, <laughs> this like really fancy sword is just thrown through the window, yeah. which like to me, I just read that as the game designers being like, if you figure this out here, like this yes. is, you know, like just very take much. this. I did not figure that out on my own. So I felt like I was cheating a little bit, but that weapon is very helpful for cutting down the time it takes to battle. Yeah. Um, for about an hour <laughs> until you lose it. <laughs> until you lose it, which, you know, is when you fall off the bridge and you're, you know, you've lost everything. 
and uh, everything you've had and everyone you knew, which is a lot. But you end up in this place, like you said, and then eventually you find Yorda in a very like it looks like the hall you started in. It also looks a lot like a place in Shadow of the Colossus, um, mm. multiple places actually. But you see Yorda like in the distance, just surrounded by shadowy figures that all have horns, and she looks like a husk. Yeah, it's really scary. It's like a really unsettling scene. Yeah, and you go to save her, and you are just fighting these like shadows of kids with horns that i i read that as like these are all the spirits of the kids who were sacrificed yes you know yeah that that was that was my uh like bummer hunch from like really early on in the game because the the first shadowy figures that you fight like the first time they teach you what combat is those figures do not have horns but as soon as you get outside for the first time and the ones with wings uh show up they kind of are like owl adjacent they were like like horned owls you know uh was kind of the vibe and i was like oh no is that what this means? That can't be it. And then like over the yeah. over the course of the game, I was like, if this was going to be a reveal, it would have happened already. Like there's no way that it happened. And then I walked into that room and I saw all the kids just like with the horns kind of like looming over Yorda. I was like, oh, fuck. I've just been like killing the like ghosts of these kids throughout the entirety of this game. It's really heavy, man. It's a really heavy moment. And the way they're animated too, they're just like curious. They're not like malicious or anything. I yes. mean, they're definitely like scary, but they're just sort of like curiously looking around. And that's the thing. You kind of realize that like throughout the course of the game, like even when you got a game over, like the thing that was actually happening was they were just like putting her back in that cage, which like obviously bad, not good. Like you don't, you don't want Yorda back in the cage, <laughs> right. but they're not killing her. You know, it's not a yeah. situation where like Yorda fucking dies and then like game over you know it's like although a, i guess it's implied that the queen would then take over her body and basically she would be dead yeah but I know eventually but yeah I, I just mean like the the shadows were not harming her really in any capacity um i mean you still needed to save her from them but like they're not as malicious a presence as they look i think right they're just sort of like spirits being used i guess or yeah. just like that was my read on it at least yeah i mean i imagine that like um Someone who's sacrificed in a place like that would not rest easily. So they're probably like some kind of unrest going on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> with those spirits. But you fight them and, and like a lot uh, of them. You fight like a lot of them. And yeah, that fight goes it, on for a long time. And I think it works in that context. I think that like that fight being long makes sense. Yeah. Narratively, not just like I pushed a box and then they showed up again. Right. But uh yeah, you fight them and and if you try to interact with Yorda at all, she like doesn't respond. She's like completely frozen. Which leads to the confrontation with the queen, which is cool. It, it's like that's like the most kind of video gamey it gets, I think. Yeah, if anything, it's just like uh maybe a way to like really likes boss fights, you know? Because like yeah. <laughs> this is a game that like really like I didn't think needed a boss fight, like literally at all. And then his next game was all boss fights. So like right. I don't know, maybe maybe that's just like his vibe. Um but I I I enjoyed this experience i thought it was like a nice like climactic way to end the game still yeah you know? right so, like just thrust me back into a video game right at the end was like oh yeah that is what i'm doing <laughs> and you have a magic sword so you're like more compelled to like kick ass yeah it's really cool she she does i mean again we're like so deep in spoilers at this point that like if yeah. you're listening to this you probably already know but just to say it out loud anyway she does this thing where like she keeps like shooting this like wave of like dark energy at you and you have this sword that's like this like magic like kind of electricity like light energy sword or whatever and if you like block at the right time with with this sword it just 
kind of like blocks this like shade from hitting you. Yeah, like washes over you. Yeah, yeah. and you can run up and you can like hit her. She has this like force field around her. And when you hit her, the the power of her force field is so strong that just like knocks the sword out of your hand. Like it does damage to this like shield thing, but it knocks the sword out of your hand. And then suddenly like you're left without a weapon. You have to like hide behind like pillars and stuff when she continues doing this shade thing and like try and find the sword, which I I think is fun. The button that you use to uh, call for Yorda and go on actually like looks it, it points Ico's head at the sword so you can like see where it is which was really that's helpful. cool i found that by yeah. accident uh which was like so helpful yeah in that fight because that sword just goes flying man you you really just lose track of it if it wasn't for like spatial audio i wouldn't have known where it landed most of the time but anyway yeah you just like continue to do that over and over again um and she's like laughing maniacally like a like a disney villain um until you stab her in the fucking chest with your sword pretty much um <laughs> i do think too there's some kind of connection between yorda and that sword because throughout the whole game yorda can open yes the doors that are blocked by like the caskets of horn children she can open via electricity and they like move for her yeah. essentially and this sword is like the same kind of like electrical energy and it's like white and glowing the same way she is so i don't think like she's the sword but i do think there's like definitely some connection between how the queen is manipulating the spirits and the energy she's giving off and how yorda is able to like do the same on her end i wasn't gonna get too into it now but like the the whole i mean it really gets down to like a an almost star wars like style like this is just a story of like dark first light you know, yeah, it's, like, it's right. like very literally like dark magic versus light magic and like the manipulation of both um, and, and the attempt for like the dark magic to absorb the light magic as well uh, is is my vibe or at least like my takeaway from this. And Yorda is just like literally a being of like pure light magic. And this sword is also like a light magic kind of thing, which is why you're able to move things with the sword as well. I cannot wait to hear what you made of the ending because I think it's definitely open to interpretation. Yeah. But basically just to go through it, it ends, you defeat the queen. Actually, earlier in the fight, the queen like knocks Eco back and one of his horns gets knocked off. Yeah. In the, in the impact. And I was like, oh shit. Okay, I see where this is going. And after defeating the queen, he like falls because of everything that's happening. He falls unconscious again and the second horn is knocked off. So he's essentially no longer horned. Which in my mind was like, the curse is gone. You know, like you're no longer Mm. who you were feared to be potentially. Or at least physically you can hide your horns more easily. But I read it as more kind of thematically important than just like Mm -hmm. they're knocked off. But um, Yorda appears. Now this time she's like a being, the same kind of shadowy being of the spirits you fought before. Yeah. And she carries Iko out of the castle that's falling down and puts him on a small boat and pushes him away and says something out loud that we can't see because of course it's the fictional language she speaks. And like one of maybe second to the save song, one of the best songs in the whole game plays. And it's just like it's it is like jaw dropping. It is really like, you know, I didn't expect this game to go all out in that way because it's (laughs) so like minimalist and subtle. But the ending is like really cinematic and is really powerful. And it's really just like the ending is eco on the boat free of his horns as this whole place collapses to this beautiful song. And what follows after the credits, after the credits is a scene where he wakes up on the beach and he finds Yorda and she's like basically human again. And she wakes up and it, it cuts the black and it says end. 
more on i want to talk about that later but even before that scene i kind of just read like i read this ending as like they have forged this bond but they also kind of realize like it's okay for them to move on to their like respective realities Mm. or like they have to move past like what came before them in some way. I actually have more thoughts on it that I won't say yet because I think it does tie into Shadow of the Colossus a bit. Yeah. Even without like knowing exactly like concretely or metaphorically what it means, it's just a beautiful moment of like Yorda saving Eco. Like that's really like what the scene is communicating is that she, independent of like reason or logic, is like still able to surpass the queen's magic over her and like help Eco one last time. Right. Which is just beautiful in and of itself. And yeah, I um, I thought the ending was like miraculous. I couldn't believe it. I was like really like ugly crying during this whole sequence. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot. And the scene that followed the credits, I really like and I want to talk more about later, but I, uh, I'll give the floor to you because I want to hear what you think. Yeah, I don't I don't have too many thoughts about it, honestly. I just kind of like read it almost exactly the way you did. I, I just saw it as like Yorda being able to save eco um you know it, it's one of those like right when you kill the queen uh the the thing she says is something along the lines of like yorda can never leave like ever ever you know like even if like killing me is not gonna allow yorda to leave like you, you didn't save her by killing me and uh i i have to imagine that that's you know some version of what yorda says while she pushes the boat away interestingly enough when you've beaten the game you can go back and play it again and it translates yorda's dialogue and like yes I almost like don't want to do that. I haven't looked it up on purpose. Like I, I have. Do, oh, have uh, should I not tell you? Yeah. Oh, oh, I kind of want to know. Actually, in this scene, she says goodbye. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, that's um, good. But that actually makes me sad because there's a lot of debate over whether the scene on the beach is real or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's and the bigger question, right? Is like, are they both dead and they met up on the beach like after death? I don't think they're both dead. I think I would read it as at least Eco got out okay. Because I think that, like, mm-hmm. he is so far out of the world that's being destroyed. Like, he is actually free of his horns. I think in, in either way, they've both kind of, like, escaped their fate. Yeah. Or however you interpret that. I don't really know if there's, like, a lot of evidence that it's a dream. Um, I don't know what the creator has said. It seemed a little too good to be true. I do like it. But I also, yeah, I don't know. Did you have a thought on it or not? Or? I, I definitely don't think that they're both dead. I, I think that yeah, that would be like a so huge either. fucking bummer. And I don't think yeah. that, that scene would be there if they were both just dead. And and no. the only piece of evidence that I could point at to maybe semi-prove that is that like his horns are still bleeding on the beach when he wakes up there. Mm. Which like, if this is the afterlife, like maybe his horns wouldn't be bleeding. <laughs> I don't know. I don't Does know. Does he still have horns on the beach? No. Oh, either gone. Okay. Yeah. Right. Exactly the same way he was when he left. And then Yorda is like kind of back to her, like kind of like glowing tall girl self, you know, uh, the, yeah. the way she was earlier on in the game. So I don't know. My, my, I don't really have a definitive read on it, except that like it's a, it's an ending that makes you feel good and you don't need to think about it a whole lot. Like that was kind of my takeaway from it, which is like, this is, this is nicer than just like she fucking died in this castle as it like sank into the ocean. Uh, and, and Eco is like bloody wandering the sea doing nothing. I don't know. I think, I think my read on it, cause I, I wouldn't have even thought it was a dream unless I knew that that was like a good debate mm, already. Yeah. You know, like I, I like looked up what people thought of the ending and I saw that. I think it's more like that scene at the end, like, I said before is like 
the end to their time and who they were then. Yeah. And then the beach is like kind of a new beginning for both of them. Mm. Um, that's kind of how I read it, especially in the context of both games. I think that that's how I, I would wager that like between these two adventures, they deserve a happy ending. And I would yes. like to think that that's what they that's, get. That's Actually, kind of my take on it. And on, yeah. honestly, like th- th- this is a little bit me playing my, my connections between the two games hand a little bit earlier than I was expecting. But like, I think it's almost better to not read into it at all, but to just, like take it completely at face value i think this is the kind of situation where like however you feel at the end of it is canonically what is correct not not like trying to you know uh pepe sylvia like link red string from (laughs) one newspaper clipping to another but like it just it just is that and 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 the two of them like deserve their happy ending after all the stuff that they went through i completely agree i completely agree there's actually a secret ending that to me is canon do you know what it is no it's pretty much the same, but on the beach... Trash Bandicoot's there. You're not far off. On the beach... Oh, you <laughs> <Yeah>. are, but... <laughs> you'll love this. You're going to play it again. Because if you play it a second time, when you're on the beach, you can hit one of the trees and a water a watermelon falls out. Whoa. And if you bring it to Yorda, it, the game ends with just like a shot of them eating watermelon together on the beach as oh, it like fades out. That's nice. It's really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. That to me is the ending. Like just, they need to hang out and eat watermelon. Yeah. You know? That actually is really nice. I, I think yeah. one of the things about this game that like I think would probably lend credence to the the idea that a lot of people have that maybe this is a dream sequence or maybe they're dead or whatever is like just, just a, like weird tech technical thing about this game it was the first game ever to have like bloom lighting in it um yeah. you know like w- when you are looking out windows and stuff the light is so bright that it you know kind of like diffuses through the windows and stuff when you're outside everything is like glowing essentially and the beach is like really glowing like the beach yeah. is like bloom lighting city man it, it's like so blindingly white um that i could see why people would read it as like dreamland it's interesting, like knowing that this was the first instance of bloom lighting and just like seeing how that got like completely distorted and like destroyed in other games. Um, yeah. Whereas like here it's used, I think, to great effect. It is. Yeah. And and that's another thing I want to talk about a little bit in our like connections bit after Shadow of the Colossus. But uh, I, 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 I'll I just say that I, I loved this ending. I thought it was really great. I thought it was really powerful. I thought it worked for me. And yeah, uh, yeah. I, I like really I, you know, spent a lot of time thinking very critically about this game as I was playing it. Uh, and then in the ending, it was just like purely an emotional moment for me. I like I like literally didn't think about it at all in terms of like what it meant or whatever. I just kind of took it at face value. And I think that worked for me. So, yeah, yeah I, I love the two. I also like going back to like this is also maybe one of my favorite games of all time. Like I, I was not as uh, I didn't say it as beautifully as you did earlier, but I, I really love my time with it and I want to play it again. And I feel like this is a great game weirdly to play with people. Like I feel like mm. playing this with like one or two other people like to solve together and like solve puzzles together as you enjoy the scenery. Really wonderful. It could be like a fun positive ritual. So just like yeah. revisit this game every year like Guillermo del Toro does. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is it is interesting also when you beat the game for the first time and I think this doesn't work in the US version on the PS2. I don't know. Maybe it works in the, the remake for PS3 but uh, when you beat the game you can play it multiplayer. Like there's a, like a multiplayer version where like the other person gets to take control of Yorda which is cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I wonder what that experience would be like. Um, again, you know, just like making direct connections from this game to other games which we haven't really done as much as I thought we were going to so far but like that's just brothers 
the tale of two sons right. you know like that is just like a direct link is like i'm sure the person who made that game beat eco played it again with you know somebody else and was like that's its own video game <laughs> and then did that's it. the thing too that like we really need to drill is like i feel like escort quests and games where like your progress relies on like an ai controlled companion yeah are often like can be frustrating and are like very like notoriously disliked if you say escort quest it like sounds like a bad word sometimes you know because like experiences with that type of mechanic can be really frustrating but like not only does this game do that well but like you end up caring so much about yorda you know like yeah there are some games that are like very defiant about that right because they know they know the like kind of stigma that comes with escort mission like they they know what kind of uh thoughts go through players heads when they hear things like that and like um have experience as you were just saying like bummer versions of that and there are a couple games that like really stand out as like we specifically designed this to fly in the face of that resident evil 4 comes to mind bioshock infinite comes to mind um we're like yoshi's island yoshi's island baby um (laughs) mario Mario. yeah uh yeah but like eco is just like uh i i think in a class of its own even compared to those other ones i just mentioned which like i would also consider to be like pretty good representations of like that style of of thought eco is like really really successful at at being just like a whole game designed around an escort mission essentially um which is like it feels like a very simplistic way of putting it but like that's that's what it is essentially i mean you're like we said you're holding r2 the whole time to hold onto yorda's hand and you know bring her around everywhere yeah i mean just in terms of like things that are like so clearly like one-to-one connections between this game and other ones i mean you and i mentioned a lot like dark souls in general just like it demon souls and dark souls just feels like so inspired by this game that like i went and looked it up and like miyazaki was like oh yeah i played eco and that's why i wanted to make video games in the first place he was like doing other stuff he was like not even a video game person he was like (laughs) i want to make video games because i played eco and then you know you pointed out the eco like new game is the same like from dark souls yes yeah, there. I mean, there are there are connections between Eco and like a ton of other games. Um, th- these benches that you save at like appear like very literally in other video games. You know, Hollow Knight is a good example, which like I I can't imagine that that's you know not a reference that these like white glowing benches that you set on to save the benches in ff7 remake like the public benches yes. are great yeah i mean there, there are just like so many instances of little things that happen in this game that are like clearly references to other things and what's interesting i i, I learned this um through i don't know i i have a big list of all the like uh material that i read and watched like in preparation for this episode and i'll it's all in the show notes something in there i don't remember which one it was specifically mentioned that um prince of persia the sands of time um for the ps2 was like really heavily inspired by eco specifically like there's one like castle labyrinth area that you explore in that game where um while they were developing the game eco came out and everyone who was working on prince of persia was like we need to like stop what we're doing we need we all every person who works at the studio needs to play through all of eco and we need to like write down what we learned talk about it for a couple days and then apply that to this specific level in prince of persia which is like weirdly ironic because fumito ueda has like gone on record as saying that the original Original Prince of Persia was like one of the biggest influences yeah. for Eco. So Prince of Persia influences Eco, which influences Prince of Persia's reboot is like great. Good shit. <laughs> um, 
That's yeah, awesome. and then there's like a couple moments in Eco also, which are like very clearly references to the Legend of Zelda, uh, yeah, which I also right. really appreciated. I, there's just so much good stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of pushing yeah. boxes, and like there's something close to the, like the when yeah. you like do like a or uh, not that noise, but the the like you solve the puzzle noise in Zelda. Yeah, one of the things about this game that I was really surprised by was that I was never like upset to be having to push boxes, uh, which no, is like a no. thing that I'm very tired of in video games in general. Um, <laughs> and like I don't know. We, we just talked earlier about how we're both playing near replicant and there's like a lot of box pushing that's happening in your replicant in the part that I'm in right now. And like, I just hate it every time I have to do it, but I just went through like six to eight hours of eco where I was pushing boxes like pretty much the whole time. And I think that's, that really just like highlights what I was trying to bring up earlier that just this idea that like the world feels so humanistic and natural that like of course you'd be pushing a box here whereas in uncharted it feels weird and video gamey because the box has like a big like kind of like yellow side to it so you know that it's interactable and whatever you know like there are a lot of things that they do in uncharted to kind of like specifically drive home like oh yeah you can interact with this object whereas eco that's not the case literally at all it just is a box you just can push it because like of course you can push it 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 does it doesn't feel like a game design object it feels like you just trying to progress which i think is like a magic trick all its own in 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 a lot of ways it's really really impressive really impressive yeah i think i think also like in terms of the influence it's had like in just setting like dark souls is so obviously like we made that connection earlier but like to drill on to like what Dark Souls is taking from this, like just the atmosphere and the setting and how like it really is up to you to discern how to move forward. Like there's a lot more like RPG stuff happening in Dark Souls, but like yeah. the ability that like you can just sort of like there's that quietness and that like soak in the scenery at your own time to a game like Dark Souls that like really aids the more like big moments, which feel very Shadow of the Colossus. Which we'll get to. It, it weirdly is like if you fuse both games, you get Dark Souls somehow. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um, yeah. I, and, and I think I, I read this one interview with Ueda, um where he was talking about specifically like why Eco is set in a castle. Um, and he was like, it just makes game design easier, which is like a great answer. But he was just <laughs> like, I don't know, like you you run up to a window and the, and the glass is broken and like that doesn't feel weird. It just like allows us to you know create passageways through places that feel natural and don't feel like confusing in any regard you know because as soon as you like modernize that location or whatever as soon as it's not a decrepit castle but like maybe a castle it's like lived in and being used for real the question of like okay why is the drawbridge always up is like something that might go through the player's mind whereas this place being completely abandoned is like in disrepair allows them to be like as creative as they want with level design without the player ever questioning that and that's really cool and that to me is one of the big things that dark souls pulls from um, yeah. the, the other thing, uh, and, and this is Dark Souls specifically, uh, it, not Demon Souls, not Dark Souls 2 and whatever, is at any point in Eco, when you're outside, you can look around and you can see other places that you've been to or that you'll go. Like there's such a such an internal like map of this castle like it really is a physical tangible place they designed all of it like exactly the way it would exist in real life and you traverse it as though you are walking through it in real life as well um there are a lot of moments where you can like stand up on top of something and see a place that you've been to before and been like oh man yeah that was like four hours ago wow weird that i'm like here now uh or like (laughs) you know looking up at a place and being like oh man i hope i don't have to go there and then of course you do that is just dark souls you know like that's that like interconnected like people refer to dark souls sometimes as like a metroidvania in the way its world is designed and it's yeah. kind of 
like all linking back to itself and whatever. But really, it just is like an internal logic to the environment. And and I think eco is like a, a great example of like a kind of minute version of all of that. You know, it, it is like this little tiny experiment. And like, can you just create a castle and then just have a whole game set in just that one place and like have it be fun and exciting and have like multiple locales? You know, like you still have to have your sewer level, uh, but it but, yeah. it but it works somehow. <laughs> right. Uh, no, that, that's a great point. And I think what's also wonderful about this game is like it's like six to eight hours. Like it's really short. Yeah, it's short. And I think that was like a critique at the time, but like maybe just as someone who does a podcast about video games and like, I like when <laughs> things are short, but yeah, I think that is not a coincidence given their whole thing is designed by subtraction. It's like, how long does this need to be? You know, this is something where you can beat it in a few sittings and like feel really good about it and maybe you'll play it again. And that's awesome. Yeah. You know? And I think based on, you know, them adding those little extras, I think they kind of want you to play it again and like have it be something that you can revisit like a good movie or TV show where you can kind of rewatch it and it's not the same ordeal as like i'm starting a new playthrough of persona 5 see you in three months <laughs> right and again i've done that and i love doing that but like that's like such a long time and this is like six hours of really just wonderful moments yeah remind me of that bit when we talk about shadow colossus later i will which speaking of which you want to move on to that yeah i think i think i'm ready to talk about big Colossus. Yes. Yeah. Shadow of the Humungos. Now, Ico's a fun game, but this is a big game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, All right. That's so stupid. Ico's great. Play it. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. Brendan, we're here in the realm of shadow of the colossus one of our favorite games ever it's really fun now that we've recorded the eco segment i'm actually very pleasantly surprised that that went as long as it did because i think the intention was like we'll do a shadow of the Colossus episode and check out eco and it really feels like now they're like part of a singular experience you know yeah, i don't like you said very much i think you can play one game and and not feel like you missed out but i think if you do play both i think you're gonna get like a really cool unique experience yeah shout out to all the people who in the ps3 era like actually bought that bundle and then played them both back to back uh i'm sure yeah for real i i'm now like kind of wishing i had had that experience back then but so glad i had it now yeah totally so uh yeah we're gonna talk about this game i think it'll be interesting to see what we bring up because i think we've already kind of summed up like what the game is and how it plays and what it meant to us but um i guess just revisiting it how has it felt for you like both with the you just played the ps4 remake right you didn't yeah yeah so i i played the ps2 version to death like way back in the day and never checked out the blue point remake so i was like let me just check that out i'm just like curious enough about it that i i just like wanted to know what it was um and i I didn't really feel compelled to play the ps3 version honestly um and uh i mean beyond just the initial shock of like how great that blue point remake is because i mean it, it is just stunning that game really holds up like yeah. that that game is so fucking cool man like outside of just like the somber nature of it outside of like all the stuff that we're going to talk about from like the 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 tone piece that is shadow of the colossus like at large it's just really fucking cool <laughs> it's just yeah. like the gameplay holds up so well the like puzzle solving that is like inherent to figuring out how to like get on a colossus is like just exhilarating every time the music is like sweeping and grandiose in all the ways it needs to be um the world is gorgeous like it just is stunning um i i had a really good time revisiting it i had a really good time 
I'll probably yeah, it, finish it. Honestly, I just I only played half of it uh, for this episode, but uh, same. I'm yeah. familiar enough with it that I didn't feel the need to like push myself to, but I will definitely go back because it's only raised this game's like place for me, and just like I I just love it even more, especially coming from Eco. Weirdly yeah. enough, yeah. So just to kind of sum up the story in the beginning, weirdly, I think this game has even less cutscenes than Eco does. <laughs> uh, it's it's re- or maybe about the same, but it opens uh, similar. You got a character being carried on horseback, though this time it is like a young man, probably like I would guess like between eighteen or like early twenties. Yeah, you know, ambiguously young, carrying uh, this young woman on horseback, and uh, they're going like across a bridge and like down a spiral into like a new place there's a lot of really cool attention to detail with like the lights and like uh they are going to a place that is like clearly kind of eerie um but also very beautiful and he eventually reaches this temple and places the girl on this like altar and uh, what I really appreciate is that in the PS2 version, you know, he like rips off the blanket covering her and it like dramatically like falls behind him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it really is like the same exact like animation in the in the PS4 one. It, they really did not miss a detail in the remake. Like it really is in those moments, like just one to one, which is I, great. I, I meant to mention this during the eco segment. Um, but one of the things that I think is really interesting about uh, Ueda as like a, a creator and as a developer is that his initial interest was animation specifically he was like a a manga and anime guy uh, and then got into game design to like get into animating like via games uh, and was like just kind of like a really interesting presence on the technology front for how to animate characters in video games specifically. Like there are a bunch of things I don't really understand them because I, I don't know game development that well. But there are apparently a bunch of like wild innovations like on the level of bloom lighting in Eco in terms of how characters are animated. And from what I know, Shadow of the Colossus is like a doubling and tripling down on some of those techniques and like really showing up like everyone else. Yeah, I mean, both games have... They have a very, uh, I would compare it to Ghibli's animation only in the sense that like both are very good at capturing like little details of just human movement. You know, it's not trying yeah. to be like exaggerated or exciting, but it's it's like excruciatingly human in the way that the spirits are like curious little kids. You know, they're not like yes. running around like animals. They're like curious little beings the same way, you know, um, the horse gallops and is like, uh, more on the horse in a bit, because that's my one point of tension here. <laughs> but uh, Agro is like, uh, like your other AI companions in the game, you're not controlling them. You're like guiding them through your actions. Mm-hmm. And you have to like kick Agro a few times to like get her to know to gallop. And just like even the animation of just like the horse like receiving the message, you know, is like yeah. really well done. And <laughs> not to mention, I mean, the the big elephant in the room here is like the Colossus like getting hurt and like the way the more kind of animalistic ones like uh when when i streamed it um someone in the chat like said that it reminded her of when she clips her dog's toenails and like the way the animal like recoils yeah and and it's a funny detail but it's like very true to like there's something incredibly real even about these like giant beasts that like even as you're climbing them and, and attacking them you you feel bad for them and and more on that obviously in a bit but it, even if even if you're determined to do it like you see the pain you're creating for them absolutely um, yeah so the game opens and I, and I think it's like one of the best like openings to a game especially like replaying it and especially coming from eco 
you place she's she's dead she had like, she's very, died very clearly dead very pale yeah. yeah um and he places her on the altar and you hear at first a bunch of shadow demons like straight from eco appear yeah and the wanderer pulls out a sword that is glowing white kind of like the magic sword in eco and all the spirits kind of go away and then a voice named dorman who is actually just a collection of a bunch of voices, which like when I was streaming this, I had headphones on and it was so cool to hear like, yes, they were coming from multiple angles and like at different times. And Dorman basically says like, oh, you've got a magic sword. What do you want? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're in the forbidden land. Uh, basically, the wanderer is like, this girl was sacrificed unfairly. She she had a cursed fate and was sacrificed for it. Um, she didn't deserve to die. I want to bring her back to life. Basically, yeah. uh, the, 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 the specific word she was sacrificed for a cursed fate is said, but he wants to bring her back to life. And he thinks he's been told that Dorman can uh, can do it in this land that is like kind of almost in like a realm between realms. This is idea that like they're in this like sort of forbidden natural area where like there are spirits that can kind of link the world. So there's a lot of like bridges and like like parallel realities in both these games that are being addressed. Yeah. And Dorman is like, okay, uh, you might be able to if you (laughs) go and kill all the giant beasts that roam this land we can bring her back potentially, but it's a heavy burden. Like Dorman straight up is like, you're making a deal with me that I'm going to benefit from, but like know that like you will pay a very heavy price for this. Yeah. And the Wanderer says, like, I don't care, basically. And there's a really effective, like, creepy organ that plays when he says that. Yeah. That, like, I did not really pick up on the first time, but knowing how this plays out, to me, this game is very simple. I mean, it, it's extremely simple in all ways. He says, I don't care. And Dorman's like, cool, okay, here, go kill the first Colossus. And, you know, mechanically, the game is wandering this beautiful, open, natural world with very little in it. Uh, there is discovery to be had, like you mentioned, but you're just roaming this like very zen, quiet, natural area. And if you hold your sword out, the beam of light from it guides you to the direction of the next Colossus. And then when you meet them, you fight them. Uh, but each Colossus is very different and it's never quite obvious how to defeat them, which is that's the thing that makes this game so effective. It's like <laughs> you're told, OK, cool, go kill the Colossus in a video game logic. Like, cool. There might be like a quick time event or maybe I'll like do a combo. And it's like the thing doesn't even know you're there the first time. Like, it literally <laughs> like yeah. it's just walking away from you. And even being near it, your character will like fall down. Like it is so the scale is so effective. And I think what really is brilliant is like, you could argue like, oh, well, the design by subtraction, how does that apply when they made this game so much bigger and so much more about fighting? Really what they've done, I think, I imagine they probably looked at Eco and like, okay, is is this much fighting necessary? Do we need fighting in the game? And if we want it, how do we make it feel more important? You know, mm-hmm. obviously it's important to keep Yorda safe, but after a while it kind of could feel a little tedious. Right. Whereas in Shadow Colossus, what they've done is they've like, almost taken the platforming puzzle of the castle and made that into a living boss that walks around. So like they've just taken like the best kind of like pieces of gameplay from eco and made that into a living being that you now have to fight. But all that to say, so that's like the game, like I said, it's half boss fights, half of that. And we'll get more into those details. But I think for me, like seeing that opening again and knowing how it plays out, this game to me is about like, loving someone so much you will like damn yourself and the world for them 
which is like yeah kind of like a more twisted version of eco's message absolutely um yes but is like very powerful and is like you know i i think from start to finish like you might be surprised at the turn it takes the first time you play but playing it again like you know like it is almost more obvious that the wanderer knows like he is doomed like he kind of i think mm-hmm. i i think he wants to be with her but more importantly he wants her to be alive again and he doesn't care if that means like using a forbidden spell in a forbidden part of the land and like you know every time he kills a colossus he like breathes in their like toxic smoke and falls down (laughs) and you know each time you beat a colossus it ends with that they like expel this black smoke that like goes into your body and you pass out and you wake up in the shrine and Dorman's like great job the next colossus is here right <laughs> and as you beat more and more every time you wake up there is like a shadowy figure that kind of stares at you which is like your first big clue that maybe this is not a good idea your second right. <laughs> big clue is that <laughs> you progressively grow paler and paler uh until at the very end you've literally grown horns uh, yes coincidence <laughs> but uh We'll talk about the ending later, but I I just think like revisiting this game, I was even more into the narrative and even more into, you know, whether or not this is a sequel or a prequel to Eco. I think like it's a really interesting reflection of like in Eco, you feel really good about helping Yorda and it's the right thing to do. And the villain is so obviously evil that like, yeah, let's get the hell out of here. Right. (laughs) Um, It's still very powerful, but it's like more straightforward. But here it's like you are in many ways the villain of the game, you know, but like you're trying to do something that's good by doing something that's bad uh which sounds simplistic but i think it's like a really powerful thing to explore especially because it's so hard for him to do <laughs> you know like it's not easy he is like going all out to ruin himself just for this one person it's really beautiful even though it's very sad yeah i think that's why you were kind of referring to this as like a twisted reflection of ego in a way because yeah, it, totally. it, i i find that this game and I, I agree with you revisiting it i was much more into the narrative than i was the first time in ways that i wasn't expecting um but like in a very similar way to eco this game is all about the bond between the wanderer and and um the dead person who i think is named mono i think is her actual name yeah mono uh, yeah in, in the game but um anyway like it's about the bond between the two of them but what's really fascinating is like you just learn about the bond between the two of them like via the things that you have to do not like any dialogue between the two of them or anything i mean she's dead the whole time you know it's literally just like the fact that he would go into the, <laughs> the wild shit that you have to pull off for this person tells you kind of everything you need to know about their relationship there's one like really quiet moment i think it's after the fourth or fifth colossus that i i, I thought was really compelling um where uh you get teleported back as you do at, at the end of every colossi And uh, the shot opens up with uh, your horse standing next to Mono's body. Um, And it's just kind of like pushing its nose against her a little bit. And like it becomes very clear immediately that even the horse has a relationship with this girl as well. Yeah. Um, That moment was like, oh, my God. Like it really was like a gut punch moment for me because I was already making these connections between Eco and and Shadow Colossus. But something about like bringing the horse into it on an emotional level, like fucked me up even more. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I just I I think that this game is is like a triumph. I mean, it really is like a masterpiece of a video game. It's it's like shocking how good it is. I, I definitely agree with you. There are some things and some like rough edges that like maybe could be sanded off as well um but it is so compelling and so good at what it tries to do it's also like almost exactly the same length as as eco which is like yeah. wild it takes, it's surprising like, given six, like the hours. scale of it you know because yeah. it's like so many but you get through them pretty like they're they're basically puzzles as bosses because you're trying to figure out 
how to climb them and, and what part of them is the weak part. Very Zelda in that way. But yeah. like, so like, you know, the very first Colossus. And I think that's like the boss that like will probably take you the most time if you don't know the game. Cause it's like, what the hell do I do? <laughs> you know, eventually you discover a way to like get them to like lean down. And then all of a sudden you see on their back, like the game conveniently tells you how to like, they tell you what buttons to press to like climb walls and jump around mm-hmm. right before the fight. So it's like, okay, wait a minute. If I actually use what the game just taught me, I can beat the Colossus, even though it was like, here's how to climb. That's all you need to know, man. That's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, climbing is half the battle. And just the way they play with that. I mean, so you've got like the first two are, are similar in, in scale in that like you have to do something to get them to like fall to the ground to be able to climb them. Then you get my favorite one, which is the third one that has, it's just giant. It's so big. It's so like, you can't even see all of it. And, and to climate is like you like really do get like a fear of heights when you're like all the way on the top like it's really compelling yeah but it's got a giant sword for a hand and you have to like get it to swing the sword at like a specific point but what i always forget because of video game logic is like even if it doesn't hit you if you're near the blast you're gonna go flying right because of physics so it's like <laughs> I think all the stuff about like running out of stamina and climbing adds so much. The the horse controls are the only thing that I think are kind of like not great and not in a way that's interesting. More on the PS2 one, like just getting out of the shrine on horseback is like an hour of the game <laughs> in the PS2 one. Uh, I mean, it's not that bad, but like it's just tricky because you have to like kick Agro to get them to go in a direction, but they're like constantly like automatically turning around when they're in the shrine. So it's, that's like just feels a little bit like unnecessarily complicated like just have them can like, you not just stand outside the shrine and then yell for them to come out as we grow older we learn new things every day <laughs> that's what i that's what i always did at least that makes a lot of sense but uh if you're you know if you just want to jump on top of a horse indoors like i did <laughs> it takes an hour i'm sorry i'm sorry for waiting this long to, to say that that's the untwa of this game untwa. we didn't even mention untwa we didn't even like we just said we untwa a, a bunch bit, but yeah. we didn't untwa? say what it did we explain it when you call, if Yord is away from you and you push the button to hold her hand, Eco calls out for her because un toi, un toi, un toi. Yeah, it's it's great, which I always read as one three in French, but like is actually a different language. <laughs> and if she's very far, you go like, hey! <laughs> um, which is similar with Agro here. Yes. And I think that from what I know of Last Guardian, that like communication is like more the focal point in that game. Very much. Um, yeah very important but uh i do appreciate that agro is like not just something you control but is like another character who you have to work with so that works but um every now and then like the second colossus is like the one you're supposed to fight like aim a bow while riding the horse i'm like i just always jump off the horse and just do it it's like way easier to do it yourself yeah like there are controls for you to like stand up on the horse while you're riding and like shoot an arrow that way and like that's nonsense man don't do that just get (laughs) off the horse it's so easy um but man, there's like, as soon as you like get a flavor for how the game works, you start to get excited. Like, oh my God, what if there was a Colossus that did this or did that? And like, they pretty much cover everything you'd be excited about. Like there's one that's like the flying one when you're in the air is so exciting. Yeah. Uh, the one that goes underwater, like those, 
The sword and the underwater and in the air ones are like easily my favorite. Mm. There are two really small ones that I like too. There's and one they're really hard. Yeah. yeah, there's one that's like a tiger. It's like just yeah. a tiger that is a colossus. It's like maybe three times the size of you as a human being, which like is very scary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's also the only one where you like need to use an actual item, which is interesting. Yeah, you have to like right. pick up like a flaming stick. Uh, yeah, it's cool. And as you beat them, eventually you catch. I think the beginning is narrated by is it Lord Eamon? Yeah. Um, yeah. The shaman. E-M-O-N. Iman. Iman. Yeah. He eventually like finds out what you're doing and like shows up with like a small like militia of people because mm-hmm. like what you're doing is not good. <laughs> you're in the forbidden land. So. Uh, right. May, you know, extrapolate out. Maybe somebody's not stoked about you being there. <laughs> After you beat the last Colossus, it's like really dramatic. So like you're already like looking very sickly. Like you look like you're becoming a corpse, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and that fight is so scary. It's so harrowing yeah. that that Colossus like doesn't even move. It's like literally like it's like a big fortress almost. Yeah. Like, like bolted like the, to the ground, essentially. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it just like can't even move. The whole area around it is like this big swirling storm. Like you could tell it's like a very powerful like dark thing uh, and to so, get there agro yeah. like sacrifices herself to like get you across yes. the, it's really sad so like things are not looking good and you finally defeat it in a moment of, like that's the thing all moments of triumph in this game are cut by like inhaling a bunch of smoke yeah know? well i mean <laughs> like, also yeah. like I, I think that's another situation where like i'm glad they have music in this game versus eco yes. where like the music while you're fighting is so like triumphant and like uh I, I don't know bombastic and stuff and then as soon as you kill the thing it immediately cuts and switches to another song that's like oh it's just like so sad so somber it's like you fucked up man you did something bad you killed the living thing that was like just chilling he was just walking around with his weird big sword hand he was just trying to sleep (laughs) on his big platform and then you you stabbed your sword in his small like duck head and now he's dead and it's your fault the one that that peeks into graves um, oh yeah yeah it has yeah. yeah it has like a hobbit hole situation yeah yeah that one's fun but yeah uh <laughs> it's tricky to fight but it is a really fun design but anyway yeah so you after you defeat the last classes you come back and Eamon is in the shrine with his men and you're like a literal demon like you've got horns and you look possessed and yeah. Eamon is like holy shit not only did you Come to the Forbidden Land. You use the Forbidden Spell, which is, you know, the deal he made with Dorman. Yeah, you stole Fizzy Lifting Drink, dude. <laughs> and, and it's said that he stole the sword. Yes. Um, so, like, the he's, like, amazed at the crimes that have been committed and orders his men to kind of, like, put the Wanderer out of his misery. What's really neat, at least, I think it's the same, but... The kind of cape the Wanderer wears over his chest has a sigil that kind of looks like where you stab the Colossus. Mm, Like, all their weak points kind of have that. And then suddenly, like, you're stabbed there. And, of course, in a similar way, suddenly you start expelling the, like, black smoke that would come out of them. And uh, you become a giant, like, Kingdom Hearts horned demon. Yeah, you're a Colossus, like, inside this thing, essentially. Yeah, and Dorman is basically, like... After 5,000 years, I'm free. You know, uh, <laughs> it basically was using you from the start to 
it's it's revealed that the Colossus were like the 16 Dorman was like separated and like kind of yeah. sealed away. Yeah. And by killing all the Colossus, you've kind of combined them all back into yourself as a vessel. It's kind of like the Queen's uh, attempt at living forever. Yes, exactly. And now the wonder is being used by Dorman and you're this giant Colossus and Eamon's like, kill this thing. We got to get rid of this thing. And suddenly you start playing as them. And it's a really scary moment because you don't really want to fight Eamon. Like Eamon's like yeah. antagonistic in the plot, but he's like, right. Like you fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So you don't really want to kill his men, but you also realize like how hard it is to fight as a Colossus. Like, mm. Being in the shoes of this giant being, it's like really impossible to aim. I mean, you're breathing fire and there's like cool stuff happening, but like you can't really successfully fight. And eventually Eamon and his men escape. And then um, he like casts a seal and drops a sword into the shrine, which like creates this big explosion. And suddenly Dorman's power is slowly being taken away. One of my favorite sequences in the game is like suddenly you're slowly turning back into yourself, but you're still this kind of shadowy figure like Yorda was at the end of Ico. And you're being pulled into this like body of water, but like you and they give you control again. And it's a similar thing where it's like you can just let yourself be pulled back mm-hmm. and the game will progress. Or you can like try to run after uh, Mono and like just be with her after you know the spell that you sacrificed everything for and you're pulled back and uh that's it for the wanderer for now (laughs) and then the good news it's a bummer ending one line that really sticks with me that i would love to explore with you is like after that happens there's like a shot of Eamon like on the other side of the bridge they like destroy the bridge to that part of the of the realm and he says like poor tortured soul like i hope if there's if there's any chance that you can even survive out here I hope that you can find atonement one day for what you did mm-hmm. uh, and rides off. And then what follows is a really beautiful and like is the reason you could play Shadow of the Colossus and not just be like, well, that was a bummer. Um, <laughs> Mono does wake up. Yes. Uh, Dorman wasn't kidding. She is brought back to life. And also I yelled the first time this happened. I was so happy. Uh, Agro MVP is back. Yeah. Kind of uh, like she, limps in. Yeah. She's limping, but she survived the fall and Mono kind of like pets her. Uh, it reminds me a lot of um, in Princess Mononoke where Ashitaka tries to leave his like elk behind. Oh, yes. Because yeah. it took an arrow and like it won't. So it's just like he like dragging it along while it's limping. Yeah. Loyal to a fall Agro is back and we love her. And you hear crying in the distance and Mono goes over and in the like now empty pool of water where Wanderer was pulled into, there's a small baby with horns. Yeah. And she picks it up and kind of cares for it and then goes it leaves the shrine and goes outside into this like beautiful woods and there's like a baby deer and and a bird that flies and it it's is sort up, of like it's up on the garden at the top of the the shrine oh cool but it just sort of ends on this note that like even if you know nothing about like the connected lore between the two games like there's you know between the last line of even like i hope you can find atonement there's a fresh start for both of them. Mono is alive again, and the Wanderer has seemingly been reborn in some capacity, yeah. um, even though he has horns, uh, Yeah, which uh, is a common theme in these games. But um, it's a really 
like incredible finale both games have like such good finales it's like unreal yeah yeah really really impressive again like going directly from that last fight which you're like you're fighting the 16th colossus and it's like oh man this this is like one hell of a finale and then it one-ups itself like immediately (laughs) is so shocking and i i think that ending is really great specifically just because like at least like my my take on it is just like dorman was telling the truth the whole time like right at the beginning when he's like yeah, this is going to be really bad for you. <laughs> I can yeah. bring her back to life. It's going to be fucking terrible for you, though. Like, true. True the whole time. He didn't yeah. lie once. He was just, like, stoked because he knew that you would do it. Because, you know, it, uh, Wander is, like, so in love with Mono that, like, of course. Um, and he had the sword. So, cool. <laughs> good job. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I I, th- I think this game is incredible. I think it's really good. Um, if you're listening and you haven't played it, go play it. Yeah. I, I, I just think from, like... A, a a game perspective like a video game perspective like it's one of those things where i feel like you can only talk about it and like boom pow so cool when i did this like i loved doing this i loved like running through this field uh i loved like doing this 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 like it it, it kind of defies explanation in almost the same way uh eco does but you know is kind of like bolstered by its like central mechanic of fighting these gigantic things but really like what it comes down to is just like your experience playing it it just feels like um and this is kind of my big takeaway from both of these games they just feel like fairy tales uh in in both situations they they just feel like stories that have been like told for thousands of years but you just get to like interact with it you know like i i weirdly think you could like take old fairy tales and just like do versions of them like this and they would like be just as compelling you know like take an old story from i don't don't even know pick pick your favorite like weird book of fairy tales um and then turn it into a video game with like a weird central mechanic uh and and you're good like that's what these games feel like they feel like classic stories yes told in a way that you get to engage with and and that's really cool and not a thing you see a lot because i think in a lot of cases games that try and replicate a similar tone and and vibe to like being a fairy tale story being like something so centrally devised around like making one specific takeaway or one specific theme like inherent to every piece of it it ends up losing its way at some point it ends up becoming like fuck i don't know immortals phoenix rising or like the god of war franchise you know as a whole which like not to say that those games are bad but they're bloated and like when you play games like eco and shadow of the colossus it's like so clear the ways in which they're bloated it's like you don't need a lot of those features and a lot of them exist because they're compelling and keep you playing for tens of hours instead of you know single digit hours but in some instances it does the story a disservice to stick around for 77 hours you know like i've never finished an assassin's creed game for example i've just never gotten to the end of one because how could i i know people do like i i'm very well aware of that but like i i just i've never been that compelled by a story to like just plow through the whole thing when like it's almost like the game is fighting against itself in a lot of ways by like giving me all yeah. of these side objectives and all these side quests and all these other things which sometimes are more interesting than the story itself you and i are huge elder scrolls fans i have never finished skyrim <laughs> because all of the side quests are so much more interesting than the main plot right and and i think that games like eco and shadow of the colossus are just like no no no, no. there's one very specific thing that we want you to take away from this and anything that deviates from that does doesn't exist here like shadow of the colossus for example had like 40 something colossi in it initially and then it got pared down to 16 like that's a lot of work put into a game that was then just like removed and i think it all 
does a like a great service to the central like story. I think this game being the length it is means that it doesn't overstay its welcome, but you still want more. And that's why you can go replay it again with like different difficulties in a time attack mode. And you get all these like weird, like specific items. I don't, I don't know if you've like messed around with that at all. But like there's like a time attack mode where if you beat certain colossi in certain time constraints, you get like extra items that do like weird things. You get literally the glider from Breath of the Wild. Like that was in the original PlayStation 2 version of Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, stuff like that. Like that all is present in, in that game. But that all happens afterwards. You know, playing eco multiplayer, getting the lightsaber in eco, for example, like all that stuff is when you're playing the game for a second time. That first experience that you have when you sit down and play it is supposed to be one thing very specifically tuned to like leave you with a specific thought. And I, I think that that's really powerful. And Shadow Claus is, is very good at that. Shadow Claus yeah. is really good at that. Yeah. I think kind of talking about both games now, like I was really expecting to like like Eco, but be like, oh, they really like sealed the deal or like mm-hmm. crystallized this concept with Shadow of the Colossus. And I guess you could argue that in some ways, but they're both really good. <laughs> like they're yeah. just both extremely different games. And I think like Shadow of the Colossus is probably the one to start with. Mm. Just because I think like I think gameplay wise, it's a little bit like you said, it's an easier sell. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, there's definitely a person who might find like the low key puzzles and exploration of eco to be a better sell than like just boss fights. Yeah, totally. But uh, either way, I think like the fact that the PS4 remake exists is like, okay, that's like the very clear starting point for me. And if you like that game, you'll probably like eco and the PS2 one as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, I, I actually am going to play the rest of this game again on PS4 and I'm very excited. I think I am too, honestly. Yeah. I, I'll probably play it alongside near if I, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Out of out of curiosity, do you have any uh, thoughts about the links between these two games? Because again, it's oh all open God. to interpretation. So like anything we say is not canon in any regard. Nobody has ever come up with the canon version of this. But I ha- I have two main ones. I have like two conflicting ideologies about it. And I'm just curious where you land if you have one. Yeah. So at least at this time, and again, I think both games' narratives are so strong because, like you said earlier, they're reminiscent of fairy tales, and like you can have. Because they're an interactive medium, you can have different moments that, like really resonate with you yeah. in one playthrough over another. And I imagine the more I replay both these games, which is a really nice feeling to have. I'm like, these are both games I want to revisit like just throughout my life. Yeah. I imagine as I get older, I will think differently about both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, like I imagine, uh, you know, like if I have children one day, I will probably more closely understand that like I would die for this person, you know, yeah. kind of feeling like right. I had that with, you know, close people in my life right now now but like i imagine that that like just instilled feeling that like all parents have where they're like i don't give a shit about this land or anyone else <laughs> i mean not that dramatic hopefully you don't think that way. <laughs> but you know what i mean is it just that like almost feral instinct to protect someone yeah. is like a really compelling uh storytelling device yeah but uh i think in terms of how the games are linked my read on it is i do think shadow of the colossus is first you know, whether or not there's a concrete timeline or whatever, I do think that like Shadow of the Colossus is a story about these kind of doomed lovers and the mistake the wanderer makes in like thinking, I guess I, it's 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 tricky to call it a mistake because like you understand it and that's it's so beautiful about the decision. Yeah. Is that like he is committed to it? Right. Because in this world, it is possible to bring a person back from the dead. Right. Like. Right. And you, who wouldn't risk that? Who right. wouldn't want to do that? 
even though it's like frowned upon or whatever, you know, as it I think is in the pretty much every story, like you have to at least acknowledge that it is possible. And like somebody knows that it exists because it's a story that's been passed down for a long time. It's like the fact that the Wanderer has done this. It's like it was going to be someone someday, like somebody was going to do exactly what this person did. Right. So I I met, you know, the Wanderer is kind of a victim of his own grief and kind of curses himself and the world to bring back the person he loves, but he Mm -hmm. does it. And I think he does so in a way that he does earn the pity of the shaman and I guess like of others. I mean, like if he was truly villainous, like the shaman wouldn't have that passing thought. It wouldn't have been said because anything said in these games is like so sacred because there's so few lines of dialogue. So like the wish for finding atonement and the fact that the game ends with like, like a Bambi scene of like forest creatures and Mono like <laughs> holding him like the game wants you to feel bad for him and to want to see him have a second chance. I don't know if if Eco is like that baby grown up with Mono. I think it's a little bit looser than that. I think it's more like sort of like if we're if we're applying like a fairy tale logic to these, it's like eventually a wanderer was going to do this. I think that like Eco is a story about maybe like Yorda and Eco are both young kids who are burdened by the past's decisions. So I think that like, you know, my connection between the two is like more metaphorical and more like if Shadow of the Colossus is about making the wrong decisions for the right reasons, uh, Eco is about kind of like letting go of the past and moving on Yes, uh, in a lot of ways. So I would hope that, you know, in a, in a perfect world, like Eco just feels like the cosmic healing of the mistakes made in Shadow of the Colossus. And Mm -hmm. It makes me want to think that the watermelon eating beach scene like is how this duology ends. It's like they finally, <laughs> you know, whether or not it's Mono and the Wanderer or Yorda and Eco, like these two people who love each other, eventually they will be together. You know, whether it's in this life or the next, they will eventually get to be together, which yeah. I think is really beautiful. You know, like once once like the worlds finally start stop clashing and once like they can just sort of, you know, I think there's something very symbolic about like Eco being on the boat and being like asleep and powerless. It's like he finds happiness by like really letting everything go. Like he's not holding a stick. He's not doing anything. <laughs> he's just like kind of moving on. And there's like a lot of beauty in that after all the actions he's taken, obviously. But like, I would read it as that. I would read, I would read Eco as like the cosmic follow up to Shadow Colossus and it's the healing and like. It is the atonement. Yeah. It's the atonement that Emin was hoping uh, the Wanderer would have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel very similarly, honestly. I, I think my, my two reads are like very similar uh, with like one kind of like big, big twist between the two of them. I, I think the the easiest, most direct thing to say is almost exactly like where you're coming from. I, I think I think you're probably closer to like what I would consider right, which is like at a certain point, you know, like the 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 whole of Shadow of the Colossus, like is the creation of like horned figures in this world in general. Horned figures are uh, synonymous with like the mistakes of the Wanderer, um, you know, and as as like horns begin to become more prevalent, you know, as 
generation after generation after generation after generation, like kids with horns are connected to the wanderer and the mistake that he made specifically. Uh, or, you know, mistake is, again, in quotes, but like in this society, it's considered a mistake, definitely. And uh, that's why they get sacrificed. You know, they're they're like doomed to be sacrificed in Eco uh, in, in the timeline of Eco specifically because of like what came before, you know, and I, I think I agree with you that like Eco is in itself like the atonement of like the horned figure and, and the release of the that burden from like the wanderer and the wanderer's lineage, which is like very unfair, obviously, to everybody who came after. But like that seems to be the situation in this culture, which sucks. My other thought about it potentially is like very similar, right? Is like we're sacrificing these horned kids. We're sacrificing people with horns because they're different. And Shadow of the Colossus is literally a fairy tale in that universe also. Like Shadow of the Colossus mm. is like just the story that they made oh, up. Oh, fun. To yeah, like yeah. come up with a reason to be able to sacrifice these kids so they don't feel terrible about it. Or as bad as they very much should, you know? Is like, oh yeah, a long time ago, like way back when this like idiot teen kid tried to bring <laughs> someone back to life. Uh, and uh, and it ended with him growing horns. That's why people have horns sometimes these days. So now we're just sacrificing them because they're different. Like that to me is the sadder and like weirdly more realistic for some reason version of it in my head. At least that was, that was like my connection between the two. Uh, as soon as I was playing Eco and like he fell out of the thing and met Yorda. And as soon as he opened his mouth and was like, oh yeah, I was getting sacrificed because I had horns. I was like, oh no. The Shadow of the Claws is just a shitty story they say as an excuse to <laughs> <laughs> murder these kids with horns and uh i don't know like uh, again all up to interpretation that's my personal headcanon is that like shadow that's of the colossus is just a story people have passed down for generations but it didn't actually happen but uh it's also possible that it did happen and like that's where horns came from and it's worth mentioning you know i again haven't played a lot of the last guardian i've only played a couple hours but like the very beginning of the last guardian is like a kid is being sacrificed to uh trico which is you know the big uh animal beast thing that you see uh, on the cover not the and grass starter pokemon and not, pokemon no animals. spelled oh, okay. very differently uh t-r-i-c-o worth mentioning we didn't mention this at all but shadow of the colossus was originally called nico n-i-c-o uh, oh interesting when it was first announced uh it was supposed to be like a, a direct kind of uh duology there but anyway last guardian is like the trico is this being with like horns that have been cut off and have this like magic kind of aura like pulsating from the horns um like horned beings exist in this universe or whatever in some big way also one of the first things you come upon in the last guardian is the pool not the pool but like a pool that looks very similar to the one that uh that wander gets like sucked into and turns into like a horned baby in um so like the these like pools are somehow prevalent and have some kind of magic kind of associated with them, which is very interesting. There's also like, I mean, to get more into the weird like lore connections, like the color turquoise is like very important for some reason. That seems to be like some kind of like energy signature, some kind of like magic thing that's going on. Um, the Last Guardian, it's like very much like a civilization. Like it's very much like they're using the magic to their benefit to kind of like create this world around them, it seems like. At least that's my read on it so far. But like that turquoise energy that you see that is magic probably is like pulsating from Trico's horns. It's in these like barrels that you feed him, but also like in Shadow of the Colossus, it's pulsating from the, the weak points on the Colossi. And then in Eco, it's the uh, the glowing eyes of the kids are all that same color turquoise. It's like that magic is prevalent everywhere, um, which is very interesting. Does that mean anything? I don't really know. I'm sure somebody on a forum somewhere in the past like decade has figured it out or has <laughs> like written something that seems like mostly compelling. I just um, think it's I think it's really cool that, you know, when you 
you follow an artist's work, there are just things that at the very least will unconsciously pop up a lot. Yeah, totally. And um, there's a quote from the director, like the old French director, uh, Jean Renoir, who said that uh, directors are just constantly remaking the same movie. Yes. In the sense that like, I don't, I, I think that that's not necessarily the case, but I do think that there's a lot of truth to that when you follow like an artist's work. And like, you know, I think that between Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, we're seeing very similar ideas tackled in a different way and mm-hmm. in a different landscape. And I just think it's cool to follow a team or a person's creations and like see what they're pulling from unconsciously and like yeah. how it's shaping up because it's inherently linked, even if there's not like a direct reason for it to be. Yeah. I think also like just in terms of the connections between Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, I think there's also this like moral of like, hey, older generation, trust the kids, like trust the youth, <laughs> you know, because I think there, there's something I think in often in folklore, like demons, again, uh, in Dragon Age, uh, for example, demons are described as spirits who want to be human again, but it's a wish gone wrong, mm. um, which always stuck with me. That's a common thing in, in a lot of literature where like they, you know, mortality is envied by these spirits. And um, I think you can see that in Eco of like, like we mentioned earlier, those spirits are not necessarily malicious, but they're like kind of just running on autopilot in a way that like almost mimics human behavior, but like isn't quite the same. Yeah. And I think that both games, like the central, if you want to consider Dorman the villain, A Shadow of the Colossus, and the Queen of Eco, both of them are like these older beings that want to be immortal. They want to live forever. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the heroes all kind of end up being like reincarnated in some way. Like they like are able to let go and like trust that one day things will work out cosmically. Yeah. Which I think is really fascinating. You know, the fact that directly Wanderer is reborn born be it with kind of like a uh but they don't even really like look at the horns like a negative thing in that moment he just happens to have them and i yeah, imagine totally. like for people who played eco first they're probably like oh my god fuck yeah. it's eco <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my big thing is like i don't think it's like i don't think wanderer and eco and yorda and mono are necessarily the same people but again i see it in like a zelda way with there's always a different link there's always a different zelda there's always mm. a different ganon like yeah. there's always going to be you know a there's always going to be two people that will do anything for the other and and eventually it will work out (laughs) you know in their lineage or in time but uh yeah man these games are fucking incredible like so good i i was really like I think we've had Shadow of the Colossus like in the back burner. It just seemed like it's a game we both love and we would enjoy talking about it. But I didn't expect to like come out with like even more appreciation for it. And I'm so yeah. I, I think this episode would have been very different if we hadn't played Eco. Like I think that really I agree reshaped the entire discussion of of both these games. Yeah, yeah, I'm very much with you. I I, I already held Shadow of the Colossus very dear to me. Which again, I I revisiting it like really rekindled that in me. I'd kind of forgotten how much me too importance that game held in my life I think um, just like as a piece of media uh, until revisiting it but yeah you're right Eco like really reframed it in a big way for me really really good definitely go play those video games dear listener yeah. I hope one day there's an easier way to play Eco but yeah, PS too. Now is fine like, and you can also get a you can get it free for a month or two I think it's like a dollar for your first month also so you can get like a free trial and then it's like a dollar for your first month after that and then yeah. I think it's like 10 bucks so you could probably just like play Eco in the free interim and then, you yeah. know, I think whatever, it's like 60 but. bucks a year for PlayStation now, which like there's some good stuff on that, too. I'm not going to try and pitch 
PlayStation Now. I don't think it's very good service, but like it does exist and it's a way you can play some stuff, yeah, uh, including that's Eco. True. Considering I now have it for uh, a month, I will probably play like Borderlands 3. It's like the only way I'll like feel okay about playing that game. Yeah. So uh, that'll be fun. I'll maybe expect to hear that or not on the show at some point. Probably not, <laughs> if I'm being honest with myself. That feels like a game like Assassin's Creed Valhalla that like I am just playing ambiently in the background and will never talk about on the show. Yeah. All that to say, I think that's all I got on Shadow Colossus for now. We do have a bunch of listener questions. Do you want to take a quick break and then get to those questions? Yeah, let's do that. That sounds good. I'll cool. talk to you soon. Thank you, dear listener. Thank you. Bye. Brendan, we are back, and I have a list of questions asked by our dear fans and friends and listeners and everyone in our life. <laughs> oh, cool. What did my dad ask? Brendan's dad said, what the hell are these shadowy horn figures in Eco? I can't make heads or tails of it. Never uh, mind the horns. Well, I'm glad we answered that in the last bit. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> uh, the first question on the list is from Chase Albee on Twitter. Thank you for this. Uh, They ask, I've seen uh, Fumito Ueda describe how he makes games as designed by subtraction, which feels like the spiritual opposite of how a lot of games are built. Where do the two of you fall on the too much or too little scale? Which games feel bloated and which ones feel too sparse? That's a great question. Yeah. And we've kind of touched on it a little bit here and there. Yeah. My my thing with Eco, and I, did, I didn't really go into it as much as I, I meant to in the earlier segment, so I, I can kind of mention it now. But I, I, I think there are some instances in which Eco could have been cut down even more. Uh, the, the combat, as you and I mentioned, like there are instances in which the combat really gets in the way of like the tone that the game is going for yeah um and even in retrospect like knowing what i know about the shadowy figures in general in that game like having more combat like doesn't retroactively you know make that okay so yeah i I, i'm i'm a little bit of two minds about it with eco because like i think they probably could have cut out that combat i also probably could have cut like maybe 30 minutes to an hour out of that game also like they're I think there's a certain point where it's like, all right, I'm climbing this chain. I'm pushing this box. I'm doing all the stuff that I expect to do. But at the same time, like it, it's like the first attempt at designing a game with this philosophy, um, at least for Ueda and like severely worked out. You know, yeah, like, I would say like 90 percent of it works. So it's really just like, I think that there are moments where the fights begin, like because you always hear like an eerie music and you see the demons pop up. And it takes a long time to kill them with a stick, which is very effective in the beginning when you're scared of them. Yeah. But at a certain point, it feel it almost feels like there's a lack of confidence where they're like, oh, well, we needed to throw in a fight because how could we end this with just a puzzle and a nice walk outside? And it's like, that's actually what I want. Like, that's you, the thing. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the... the I, I think like the more extreme version, but like, you know, if you're a game designer, like practicing that philosophy, like maybe that's what you should be doing, like going the more extreme route. And like, I do think that this game would be better if you got rid of the combat entirely. Like, I actually think that, that would be a, a good video game still. Even harder to describe. I imagine the, the back right. of the box quote would be even worse. Uh, Solve the puzzles. Period. Yeah. <laughs> That said, I mean, you know, it still is effective in more ways than it's not. I was going to say, I think especially like there's some moments where like you really feel like you're so ill prepared for this task. You're just like a little kid with a stick, you know, yeah. like that's where and the fight with the queen, like you said, is fun. But yeah, they they definitely got the fighting down in Shadow of the Colossus for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think the question also says like just which games in general. 
I would say like my big thing, we, we bring this up in passing. Uh, and again, like our show, we're only really talking about games we like, but we're also, you know, being critical, even with stuff that we enjoy overall. But I was thinking about like games I really love that I think there's this tendency, especially in like AAA games where they feel like they need to cover a lot of bases. So like mm-hmm. I always mentioned like in Gravity Rush 2, there are these like stealth missions that are just like so not good. And like I, I don't want to limit what you can do in a game, but I think there's really a lot of power in like knowing what the strength of the game is and building around that rather than like trying to dip your toe in like eight different genres, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think it works sometimes when like the central mechanic might be more flexible, but like when it's a game about flying around, I don't want to not fly. <laughs> you yeah. know, like and and there are games that are like almost you know retorts at that. Also, there are games right. like in the same way that we were talking about how like eco flies in the face of like escort mission being like a bad phrase. I, I think games like Near Automata, for example, uh, and and Replicant also, from what I've played so far, are like, yeah, we're going to be maximalist in every way. We're going to reference everything we possibly can. But then you have things like Death Stranding, which like seem on the surface when you start playing them as like this game is trying to be too many things. And then the more you play, the more you realize that everything is in service of just holding a backpack with mail in it. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. like it really just is like that story. Um, and that's really powerful. I think it really goes both ways. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it's also like a really big conversation. But I do think like I would like to see more games like be comfortable not having to like I think I, Eco is a great example of like you don't have to have fights if it's not serving the scene. Yeah, uh, you don't have to default to certain mechanics because they're popular or because they're like you know oh every game has this. Uh, yeah, my my concern I think like long term maybe um, is like you know Ueda is gonna get to make another game. Uh, it's already I, I I looked this up in one of our breaks, but like we we already discussed how there's like a fourth game being teased and whatever. It's being fully funded by Epic Games. Like they are, you know. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, like, it's happening, like, for real. And, like, if it's being funded by Epic and they're not part of PlayStation anymore, then, like, it's probably going to be cross platform, which will be interesting. So, like, cool. Great. Good. That's, like, probably a double or triple A kind of, like, budgeted game that's going to exist from this creator. But, like, what about the next Ueda? You know, like, who else is going to get the ability to make a triple A budgeted game that has this style of, like, I'm just going to make sure that the thing is exactly what it needs to be and nothing more than that. Because I feel like so frequently there are pressures outside, you know, the, the more people that have to touch the thing, the more people that are relying on the thing being profitable, the more pressure there's going to be to like add the extra combat bits and add yeah. the the health bar and like a- add the HUD and stuff, you know? Which I think is why yeah. there's like a much bigger opportunity in the, in the indie sphere yes. for this kind of stuff to be made. Right. And now that it has to be minimalist, I think that's the thing that's worth remembering is like, yeah, you can have a design by subtraction idea and not have it be like birds chirping and I'm out in the wilderness. Like it could still be whatever you want it to be. It just means to have focus and intention. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other side of the question is like, when is it too sparse? I've encountered that less. I think overall things tend to feel more bloated in the game world. Yeah. I would say I haven't really found a game that feels like too sparse. I think the games that like 
feel like there's a lack of like conventional game mechanics are usually done so very purposely so like i don't know the last time i've had a thought where i was like i wish there was a big boss battle here (laughs) you know it's almost (laughs) always the opposite even when we talked about uh the arkham trilogy with tam last october yeah like we all talked about moments like you know arkham asylum ending with like the big joker fight it was like this didn't need to be here it weirdly works out in the trilogy but in the moment it feels very silly (laughs) right yeah and again like that working out in the trilogy was like an atonement for the mistake that they made in Asylum, yeah. weirdly. <laughs> At the end of Asylum, someone says, I hope Joker finds atonement one day, <laughs> which led to Eco. A, a weird, like, I, I would say a, a more recent example of both being bloated and also too minimalist simultaneously is Monster Hunter Rise for me, where, like, Monster Hunter Rise is so fucking bloated that the whole franchise is so bloated. Like, they've never said no to including a new mechanic and then keeping it in the next game. So, like, at this point, it's like a hundred band-aids stacked on top of each other and eventually, like, the the bone on the bottom is going to fall off. But uh, simultaneously... It's a little bit like too minimalistic in the way it um, like tries to bring new people in, I think, um, because like you could Monster Hunter Rise is maybe not a good example, but some of the earlier games in that franchise, like you just start and there's literally nothing telling you what to do right. whatsoever. <laughs> and like that is a game that needs to be explained, unfortunately. So like uh, they still haven't gotten it right. And then they've also added more features on top of it that they don't explain. So you kind of have this like worst of both worlds situation. If you can get through all of that, great franchise great game um but yeah, we, unfortunately we adore yeah. monster hunter and monster hunter rise especially yeah uh, speaking of the royal we of course uh <laughs> let's move on next question is from gavin m and discord they ask which colossi was the saddest to ice oh my god and what other hidden gem did you play on the ps2 oh um oh that's a big question both great questions thank you for these um I would say the saddest one to kill was probably, hmm, they're all really somber. They all have like a bittersweet note. As triumphant as it is to finally do it, uh, it always feels a little gross. I would probably say the one that peeks into graves feels especially sad because like... (laughs) It just wants to hang out. It just wants to hang out. (laughs) Uh, I think also the ones that are like more like animals, like I think the second one was kind of sad because it's like kind of just this like hooved beast. The ones that like have weapons permanently are like not quite as sad to me, but there's always like a somber degree. But I would say the fourth or second one for me personally. Um... Weirdly enough, I think it's the third one for me, uh, which okay, is which yeah. is the one with the big like sword hand. Yeah, I I I just I I feel like shit every time I kill that one specifically. I mean the fir- the first one, especially going and playing the Blue Point remaster um, in this instance like for this episode uh the first one was like oh yeah i forgot what it feels like to kill this thing this is really depressing and then the second one was like all right i'm kind of getting a feel for this game and then the third one was like oh no i feel bad again this thing has a cute face <laughs> it does i do yeah. it, it has a little it like duck bill. it's like really sad it's uh it's second weak point is like on its stomach which feels like especially mean for some reason yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so the, the quick answer is all of them but i would say like <laughs> Uh, yeah, the the early ones, like I think like the last one you don't really care about. So this giant like fortress. I mean, yeah. it's still somber, but you know, it's like you're you've come so far at that point. You're like I just need to do this for the oh. person I care about. That's so fucking depressing, man. Ugh. What hidden gem did you play on the PS2? I'm trying to think of a game I had. Oh, so one game I had on the PS2 that I 
no is like very hard to find and i regret selling it but i would probably never play it is rpg maker 2 oh um, wow okay so rpg maker yeah. 1 is like a very well-known like game builder system a lot of games have been made on it uh yumi nikki was made in rpg maker mm-hmm. um it was really like at the early era of of indie games that was like the thing to use and RPG Maker 2 was the sequel on PS2 that was like, if RPG Maker 1 was like a SNES kind of presentation, 2 was FF7 3D sprites. <laughs> but like, no matter what you did, when they moved, there'd be like a weird blur. So like, kind of wasn't great. That being said, that game on the box, it was like, hey, every game comes in with instructions, but like, really, you got to read these. And it was basically like a, a light coding course. Like, it was a really powerful tool that i actually really enjoyed like just getting a glimpse at like what it takes to do anything in a game mm-hmm. like building a town and then making a script so it's like when you go here x happens and then you know whatever like it was really neat and you know it just felt like i dreamt it because i was just like what is this weird 3d rpg maker i have i was just trying to make ff7 in it which was fun <laughs> but i played that as a kid and then like realized you could just go play ff7 yeah i also had marvel vs. capcom 2 which isn't really a hidden gem but it, again was another rare game that like yeah. one of my favorite fighting games and rez i also had on ps2 rez. which is like oh yeah you're a rez fan cult classic uh rail shooter with like an incredible soundtrack i think it was also on the dreamcast but i had it on ps2 yeah so those are my hidden gems that i can remember off the top of my head but there's like man the ps2's library is so wild that like that's why i keep it like on my shelf and and make sure it works because i every now and then will just buy a new game on ps2 like i a couple years ago got persona 4 and 3 and like oh nice play them on my ps2 and it was amazing you know like the the library of that system is like really incredible yeah yeah it was huge wow i'm trying to think of of ones uh, the the two the two games that like felt to me like hidden gems at the time and like aren't now which is silly um are are psychonauts and okami um, oh yeah okami is a great one yeah, th- those were two games where like none of my friends w- wanted to play or were even interested in Psychonauts when that came out, and I was like, "This is the actually the only thing I care about in my life. <laughs> this is ma- this is maybe the best thing I've ever experienced as a piece it's of a media." Great game. Yeah. Um, and then Okami came out, and like as a person who didn't play Zelda games and like didn't really know like what Zelda was all about, I just remember like reading a video game magazine at some point that was like, "It's like Zelda, but you're a dog," and I was like, "Oh, whoa!" Uh, and then uh, I had like just an incredible time with it and that also was another experience where like nobody i knew was playing that game or talking about it i'm sure like in the grander scope of video games like a lot of people like loved both of those when they came out as evidenced by like okami's been ported to everything had a sequel on the ds psychonauts has a sequel coming out like this year so like obviously both of those games stood the test of time and like a lot of people really love them and they're maybe like cult classics maybe they're just classics in general but at the time playing them it was like i have nobody to talk to about either of these no you're right i mean they definitely didn't get the fanfare they deserved at launch yeah um what i will say a definite hidden gem um and this this is like definitely a weird one for me because i'm an employee of marvel entertainment anything i say and do does not reflect the views of my employer but Ultimate Spider-Man came out like right after Spider-Man 2, like between Spider-Man 2, which is like the one that everybody remembers with the incredible web slinging, like swinging around New York, 
good stuff. And then Spider-Man 3 eventually, which like I'm not going to talk about. But um, <laughs> Ultimate Spider-Man was like, let's take everything that was good about Spider-Man 2 and then like throw it into the comics universe. Um, fun. Using the Ultimate Spider-Man like comics continuity and was unreal. It was so fun. That is a game that like I don't see anyone talking about. I don't know anyone else who played it, but like ripped. It was so it, it had the exact same web slinging as Spider-Man 2 just had like cool comics accurate like venom and rhino and like all the all the hits uh with the with the ultimate spider-man version of them i didn't i wasn't even a fan of ultimate spider-man as like a comics franchise at that point in my life but loved that game and then eventually went back and read it and enjoyed it but like man that was a cool game another game that i actually didn't have but like when i knew the ps2 was coming out i bought the strategy guide for the bouncer which was like one of the first square enix games on ps2 whoa there was a there was a game called the bouncer that was like a kind of side-scrolling beat-em-up that was published by or developed by square and uh I just was so intrigued by it. And like, I had the strategy guide and read it constantly. Like no one in my life has ever talked about the bouncer, but it just seemed like I'm like, oh, I even heard of it. Yeah. This is the PS2 game. And like, it was like a, like very final fantasy looking game, but like there was like a group of, of like bouncers. It was so silly. I just remember one of them has a leather jacket that has a cactuar on the back of it with like an X over. It, and then it says no escape. And I never really knew why. But yeah, it was like kind of when Square was trying to do more like non RPG stuff, but still like in the realm of Final Fantasy. Yeah. Really weird. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's good at all. It probably isn't, but I um, sure read the strategy guide. I, I, I could list a couple more uh, real yeah, quick if, if that's cool. I don't know. I'm just like thinking about the PS2 right now, but um, uh, the Lord of the Rings games were like rad. They were really good. Which ones? Uh, Two Towers and Return of the King specifically. Gotcha. Gotcha. Were very, very good. Uh, there was a game called Champions of Norath that I used to play with my friends all the time. That was like uh, like a Magicka kind of Diablo vibe um, that was like really, really fun. And then uh, some of the Star Wars stuff on PS2 was really cool. There was like oh, yeah. Star Wars Bounty Hunter, which was really cool. You played as Jango Fett going around like assassinating people, which was like <laughs> a wild time. Uh, I tried playing that again recently and like does not hold up as well. The thing Whoops. that does hold up that I was really surprised by is uh, Starfighter and Jedi Starfighter. That that was like essentially the spiritual successor to like TIE Fighter and X-Wing like way back on the PC. But you played as a Jedi in a starfighter and like could use the force while like dogfighting in space and like ripped it was really cool and those <laughs> games are available on ps4 and i think also backwards compatible on xbox so like you go check those out they're really really fun still i, I still play them to this day that's awesome they're i fun. love that that was a fun question thank you for that gavin m oh and katamari damacy which i got oh also God. like immediately at launch i was the only person who was excited about it i was like this is gonna be my new thing and it really was I, I, the reality in which we became friends earlier is too powerful because I would have been that one friend for you. I had We Love Katamari, which is yeah, the you had sequel. We Love, yeah. <laughs> I'm more of a We Love guy. Anyway, <laughs> Rufus in Discord asks, "What experience do you two have with games that employ unpleasant mechanics?" for artistic expression and when have you found those to work and not work another great question huh i think in the case of both eco and shadow of the colossus it mostly works i think that like having uh you know the impact of the colossus like hitting the ground cause your character to like just fall out of your control and when you're climbing them like the colossus will shake its back and you'll like 
kind of get dizzy. It could be frustrating, but like if it wasn't there, I think the game would feel like kind of repetitive. It would feel you know, too video like, gamey, I think. Right, right. That, that kind of gets back to what I was talking about with with uh, Eco specifically. But like, yeah, you're right. Definitely true of Shadow of the Colossus. Like those moments are the things that make it like feel real. Like they feel naturalistic. They feel exactly the way that they should intuitively. It's like that that subconscious like lizard brain part of us that's like, yeah, course i'd fly off the back of this thing if it shook <laughs> yeah um so i think that those are cases where it works i think like uh death stranding weirdly is another example of like you know the the whole like tripping and carrying stuff at least worked for me and i think it works for like the central mechanic of the game you know me in too. terms of how it's made yeah. when it doesn't work i'm trying to think of an example of that i think like i just ran into one in near replicant which i don't want to spoil for you but i just ran into mm. like there's a dungeon that i just went through in near replicant that is like all about limiting the player in like kind of creative ways um and you can tell that it's like supposed to be a commentary on something and i hated every second of it <laughs> like it just was yeah. not fun at all right um, which is a bummer um maybe we could talk about that more like when you've gone a little bit further in it but uh yeah, yeah. I, I i think death stranding is actually really good like a game to point at in that regard I, I think the fine line is like a lot of gameplay is like kind of about tackling adversity and if the limitation creates adversity that can be tackled by the player it's fun and if it's like just there for the sake of like oh it sucks to be here then that's not fun right yeah frustration isn't inherently bad right like right creating a uh, creating frustration point for the player in in a lot of cases is like looked down upon but sometimes can actually be used to great effect look at dark souls like that's a whole franchise that's built upon frustrating the player right so that moment when they're not frustrated anymore is euphoric yeah I will say though, I think even um, like I, I think that there are some games like there are moments that might go too far. Like even Dark Souls or Sekiro, like there might be a moment where it's okay. Like I know the boss is hard, but the save point is like eight miles from the boss, and I have to like yeah, you know, go through all this. I, and that's that's right. I get annoyed when it's like I either have to repeat something over and over again that I've already done. That re- that really gets to me. Yeah. Or if like they are affecting me. Steven physically <laughs> and I think that weird like uh, a good example and it's a weird one but a good example is in Mario Kart when the ink squirts on the screen I don't enjoy not being able to see myself you know like yeah m- m- living it like hurting my focus as a participant is not fun but That's a great like, example. Yeah. squirting ink on the eyes of Mario maybe making it harder to steer but I can still see Mario mm-hmm. that would be better for me and again this is a very case-by-case thing and I think that like there are games that both succeed and fail at this I think uh, actually another good example is like there's a moment in Near Automata which again we just talked about Near Replicant we're both huge Near fans but they have rough moments and there's a moment in Near Automata where something very dramatic is happening and they like draw it out to like be dramatic but there's like a lot of opportunities to like actually get killed by enemies in that sequence and you might have to restart it yep, often which i did many <laughs> yeah. i know exactly what we're talking about i i died like three or four times there and it was horrible and yeah. it really diffuses the moment that actually goes back to uh design by subtraction that moment should have been like just a walkway with no enemies and if there are enemies they maybe not even see you yeah and just let that moment play out because it really is in like one of the most it's like in one of the most dramatic moments in the game and it really throws a wrench in the gears to like have the opportunity to lose similar thing in mother three uh which is a game full of frustrating moments (laughs) even though i really loved it there's a moment like right at the end where like 
you might have to redo a thing over and over again if you don't do it exactly right. And it really throws a bucket of water on is what a really touching scene, you know? So like, I, I think it really goes back to like, how does this aid the moment? Is there an opportunity for failure? And does failing in this moment add anything? Yeah. Are you going to feel like, you know, failing in Shadow of the Colossus is part of the fight. And when you finally do it, you're like, yes, I did it. It's it's relief. There are a lot of moments in games where once I finally do, I don't feel relieved. I just feel like, thank fucking God. <laughs> you know, I don't want to have to think that ever. So that's the best I can answer that question. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I think I think you did a great job. Thank you. Here, we're getting into some fun. Uh, these are all fun questions, but these are s- some more slightly off-topic ones. Uh, Matt in Discord asks a bunch of questions. Do you want me to read them all at once or one at a time? Uh, let's go one at a time. Okay. What 3DS games do you love? What 3DS games do you love? That was the question? Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Um, here's the one I'll, I'll plug. Um, here's my, like, in uh, 10 more years when we get a question that's what, what hidden gems did you love for the 3DS? Um, the biggest one that I will always point to is Fantasy Life. Fantasy Life is a game by Level 5 who made like the Professor Layton games um, and then went on to make, I think, Nino Kuni um, with... Oh, with, cool. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, it is a game where you just like hang out in a town and uh, just like essentially what if you took the job system in Final Fantasy and made that the whole game and like there was nothing else <laughs> where you just like continue to accept jobs and then you just like go like work in a kitchen for a while because you're a chef and then eventually you become like a master chef. And then you stop and you're like, all right, well, uh, now I'm going to go become like a wood carver and you're going to go like carve some wood for a while. And all of these jobs start feeding into one another. We're like, oh, now that I've carved wood, um, I've actually become like a carpenter. Uh, so now I can go like build houses somewhere. And you just like continue to kind of stack these jobs up on one another until you eventually beat a big evil bad person. But I love that game like really desperately dearly because it would put me to sleep every time I played it. It was like the <laughs> most it was so calming that I could only play it for like a half an hour at a time every single time. It didn't matter if I was like super awake, uh, if I had just woken up from like a full night of sleep, if I had just had a whole bunch of coffee, like it didn't matter what time of day it was or what I had been doing, I would immediately go to sleep if I played Fantasy Life because it was that calming. Um, and I really love it. And it's a game that I don't hear about very often. And like there was supposed to be a sequel and then it like never happened. It really bums me out. So just going to plug Fantasy Life. Hell yeah. Yeah, 3DS is a great system. And I think my yeah. love for it is also like mostly due to the fact that it's like the one place you can still buy old Nintendo games pretty easily. Mm-hmm. You know, while the eShop is there, definitely take advantage of it. Not to mention the backwards compatibility with the DS, which has an incredible library as well. So like, I kind of just see the 3DS as like a sort of like lexicon of like different generations of games. I mean, my my picks for favorite 3DS games were kind of basic and are probably ones you would guess I would say, but like Fire Emblem Awakening, that was my intro to Fire Emblem and, and is still one of my favorites in the series and probably my favorite 3DS game. Pokemon X and Y... Man, when that came out, that was like such a dream come true. Yeah, me too. I, I, yeah. I think like in the years since, I don't know like if it will feel as fresh because we live in a, you know, post Sword and Shield world. I'll say this. Pokemon X and Y was the first Pokemon game where you could like run in a diagonal line. And to me, that was like, <laughs> what the fuck? You know, it, it, it had been so beholden to a retro formula for so long. Yeah. That like it was really like, and I stand by this. I think that even though I, I don't know, like. It would definitely be in my top five. But, um, well, I think other games might have better campaigns or, you know, whatever. X and Y, when it came out, felt like the first Pokemon game that really utilized the hardware to make a new experience in a, in a similar way that Silver, Gold, and Crystal did with the Game Boy Color. It was mm-hmm. like, 
finally they're using you know we have like really incredible work making animated 3d sprites of every fucking pokemon it's yeah. crazy yeah you know and uh it's just a lot of stuff like a lot of quality of life improvements in x and y i do think the campaign was like a little silly and a little easy but it was still an incredible time and i think yeah, it was like so fun if you're looking for a fun pokemon game like that's absolutely a good one and the region is great it's like a france inspired setting it's like a lot of rural areas as well as like a very clear paris equivalent also if you want to ever play chrono trigger i think the best way to play it is the ds port so you can play that in your 3ds and uh gotta plug dragon quest 8 journey of the cursed king dude uh, have you been playing more of it yeah it's the best it's so cool i would love to talk about it more one day because i have been like dying to play more dragon quest recently yeah. I've, been, I've been like really feeling like like really want to download more dragon quest games on my phone or something uh but i think yeah, i'm just gonna I, go back to playing eight i got i got like halfway through five so i might want to finish five first still but i started eight and really love it so um yeah if you like 11 you'll probably also like eight eight is like way somehow even campier from go and you can't change the dub so it's like a lot of cockney being thrown at you right away but it's fun <laughs> it's it's very fun and i like the talk about a game that feels like a fairy tale it feels like very whimsical in a way that's like great before you're going to bed yeah totally i think um one of the like more like deep cut things that i'll recommend also um uh, like kind of on par with fantasy life uh weirdly because like it came out just like so close to the end of the 3ds life cycle and like switch hype was so big is um and i mentioned it recently is uh mario sam mario oh my god metroid samus returns oh Uh, yeah i was thinking about that yeah um really fucking cool game i know a lot of people like I, I actually saw a discussion about this in the discord but like a lot of people say like go play the like fan remake of metroid 2 instead which like is probably true i imagine that's like really good but samus returns on the 3ds is like such a different thing entirely and i imagine that's why people say to play the fan remake is because like samus returns is like trying to be a different game it is very much a remake of of metroid 2 but like is very much trying to be a different thing and i mentioned this a lot but like it very much has bloodborne combat like it's 2d bloodborne yeah. combat like you take damage you go and you have to like fight things to get your health back quickly enough like it really just like lifted that straight from bloodborne and it fits so well in in a metroid game because it it turns this like very like solo kind of um dour vibe this like very like kind of isolating oppressive environment into something that feels like frenetic you feel more like you're fighting for survival because it's so like terrifying to take damage and like need to get your health back immediately um it's really cool uh, and the other game that people just like missed that like is a first party Nintendo game is uh, Kirby Planet Robobot. It's a great Kirby game. It's really fun. It's very silly. I've also heard uh, the Donkey Kong game on 3DS is apparently incredible too. Tropical Freeze, right? Yeah. Uh, that was the Wii U one. Oh, was it? What yeah. was the 3DS one? I don't know. I didn't even know there was a 3DS one. Yeah, it was pretty early on. I feel like the 3DS kind of suffered a Wii U fate in terms of like it was named something that was confusing. Like you wouldn't initially think that 3DS was like a brand new system. Yeah. And then eventually it just like happened. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, oh, Donkey Kong Country Returns 3D. Yeah. I've heard it's really great. It's very hard, but it's really good. That's cool. Yeah. I'm a big Donkey Kong fan. Yeah. That's cool. I'm, I'm into that. 
Yeah, I would play all those games. I mean, it's weird that there's like first party Nintendo games on that thing that like I think just like totally flew under the radar. Like I didn't even know that that Donkey Kong game existed until right now. Almost everyone in my life except for you bought a 3DS for either Pokemon, Animal Crossing or Smash and then sold it as soon as like one of those experiences was done. Dude, that's like the that's the real major one for me is uh, Smash 4 is. Yeah, I, I still stand very uh firmly in the camp of like smash 4 is better on 3ds than it is on wii u <laughs> i think it, i i that's my like big conspiracy theory that's my big like they filmed the moon landing uh situation <laughs> uh in like a hollywood backlot is like smash 4 was made for the 3ds and then nintendo made them make it for the wii u because the wii u was failing like that is i will i will live and die by that theory it makes sense and it played really well on 3ds it's a lot of fun really good some of the like mini games and stuff that they included in there are so fun the amount of times i spent like eating a burrito that i picked up from chipotle while <laughs> yes. watching i mentioned <laughs> this to you before yeah. and probably on the show but like i would just like pick up a burrito from chipotle and just like watch and bet on matches in online mode during lunch at work Ugh. It sounds like I honestly, and I don't mean this, I mean this sincerely. I see that image in my head and I hear the save point music from Eco in the background. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is true bliss. Yeah. Chipotle and betting on Smash matches on your 3DS. Hell yeah. Yeah, really good. Here's, here's a fun question. What games are you surprised feel retro in 2021? This is a great question to ask someone who just turned 31 and is like <laughs> shocked at what was 20 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I think the thing that makes me like the the term retro is like anything around 2014. Like I think we're like far enough away from 2014 that games that came out around then are like, you know, in the early part of the last decade where like, yeah, even a few years ago, it felt way more recent. And it's a silly thing to say. It's like, oh, cool, man. Like whatever. But I just feel like that was a very specific era of games. And that was also the year I moved to Chicago. And like, I just think about that year a lot in a lot of ways and like what was coming out around that time. And like, as you get older, I just think it's like interesting how, you know, I mean, years just mean less. So like all of a sudden, like a decade has passed. I don't mean, I mean, this in like a positive way, weirdly, because I think when you're younger, like every year is like this like cataclysmic change, (laughs) you know, uh, but then, you know, once you hit like, I don't know, once you like leave college, like years to start to blend together and then you don't really know what sums up an era until after the fact which is i think the more positive angle so i just think about like 2014 is like very like strange shifts in like you know we mentioned how like a lot of indie games were coming out like you know getting a platform that wasn't just like a forum somewhere on the deep web in the early 2010s mm-hmm. and then i feel like 2014 to like 2016 we started to like really see like it was no longer like this is an indie game but just games were coming out like in tandem with each other yeah in terms of how it feels retro i just think there's like a specific era of like triple a game from like 2014 or before that just like has a little like sprinkle of uncanny valley and <laughs> you know like yeah i think about like uh the a lot of like the bioware games from like 2010 where i'm like man these faces are something else <laughs> you know yeah absolutely the, the, the one that really sticks out to me and i almost feel like they kind of forced it into this position is uh skyrim yeah which like skyrim came out literally 10 years ago um i still very much remember exactly where i was what i was doing like when skyrim came out 
Um, I remember all the hype leading up to that for like years, like two years leading up to Skyrim releasing. And uh, it's a decade old and has been ported to like literally everything. And weirdly enough, like you go talk to like teens these days where like I've had conversations, you know, like at like weird like family events and stuff, just like talking to kids about like what they're playing these days, you know, because I'm like the the like cousin who like has a video game podcast. <laughs> and and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm playing this like old game. It's called Skyrim. It's like, whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would say like early 2010 stuff like Skyrim and all that. It's yeah. weird to have that be retro. Yeah. Uh, here, <laughs> the left turn of left turns. A twist, if you will. Okay. How do you feel about M. Night Shyamalan at this point? Oh, man. <sighs> all right. Let me talk to you about why I think Lady in the Water is a good movie. Is this true? No. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> I have not seen... Was it Glass? Was that the most recent movie? Yep. I sure did see Glass in IMAX. Um, How was it? How'd you like I it? I saw it at like the New York IMAX, the one that's like the entire side of a building size. Uh, that movie should not have been an IMAX is like my big takeaway from it. Like that is <laughs> that is a movie made on like a shoestring budget and you can feel it in the theater. Really weird. I uh, The thing with M. Night Shyamalan... I can't believe this is happening. Um, <laughs> the, thing, the thing about my Shyamalan is like ob- the the classic move is like he had a bunch of great movies and he kind of like lost his way. He has moments of greatness still every once in a while yeah totally and i am very much on team like i want m night Shyamalan to have his hit again like i really totally want to see it happen split gets close but is so problematic that like i just can't you know what i mean like split when you watch that movie if you disconnect yourself from the fact that like the whole premise of the movie is like a real problem and is like a real like bummer view of like people with any kind of like bipolar disorder or anything even remotely close to that. It's like a cool movie. But the, as soon as you think about that for five seconds, it's like, yikes, it's not good. Um, right. All you needed to do was change like four things about that movie and then it would have been good. You know, um, he he almost had it. And then Glass is like just a train wreck, like from beginning <laughs> to end. Um, but I, I do I do think he has it in him. I think like what he did. I think with, so too the last airbender is like unconscionable (laughs) like that is like you watch that show and you took everything wrong from it including the way you pronounce those characters names right that and i think that was the that was the because like he had a few flops before then but i think like you can't really resent like i'm in a mindset of like okay like if you made something and and it didn't work out like you're just someone creating art and learning from those mistakes yeah absolutely but like to to harm one of the most beloved series of all time (laughs) it's like it's hard to bounce back from that but yeah I, i think like i think that I would love to see it come back. And the thing is, I, I haven't seen uh, anything past the happening, which, oof. Real bad. Yeah. But uh, The Sixth Sense is like a really good movie. And yeah. I think it's like, it's been so, like, I guess, like, you know, talk about 2001. Um, is that when it came out? Probably. That was before that. I think it was a 90s movie. Probably. Yeah. But I think, like, a lot of the attention goes to the twist and, like, you know, like the premise of the movie, but really like watch, I watched that again for the first time, like a couple years ago and like was just floored by Tony Collette's acting. Like she is so good in that movie. Oh yeah. And like, it is like, it's just, it's worth it just to watch her act. Like the scene in the car where, um, the kid tells her about like the person she lost in her life is like, it's really good. Like mm. that's the thing. Like there, there are so many great, like he's not just the twist guy. Like he's able to direct a good movie. Yes, I agree. I thought Unbreakable was pretty okay. 
I thought science. I haven't seen science since I was a kid, and I thought it was like fine. It was like enjoyable enough. I loved Unbreakable. Science destroyed me as a kid. Uh, yeah, really fucked me up. Made me afraid of aliens. Which like, why am I afraid of that? <laughs> uh, but I sure was. Anyway, I, I think I think it's a great movie. The Village I actually liked a lot too. I really enjoyed The Village. Um, at least when I watched it in two thousand four. I don't it even was know like, what what grade was I in. I was in sixth grade. It was like the Happening, Lady in the Water, and Avatar were like the holy unholy trinity of yeah. I'm lo- I'm looking at his IMDb. That was two thousand six, two thousand eight, twenty ten. That was like he really just like back to back like rough movies. Yeah. So I would love I would love a comeback. So I think he has, like you said, he has it within him. Uh, I can't believe we talked about M. Night Shyamalan's filmography on our low-key video game podcast. But thank you for that question. Here we are. Uh, we got a couple more from Matt. He's he's probably loving that we're doing all of these. He's probably like, they'll pick one or two. I'm like, no, I'm going to write them all down. <laughs> oh, my God. He has a, sorry, I'm still on his IMDb. He has a movie coming out that I watched a trailer for that's, like, totally wild. It's called Old. And it's about um this, like this mother and father who bring their kids to the beach and they like run into a cave and they come out and they're like 30 years old uh, <laughs> that I'm just like thrilled by as a concept. Like how, like how is that not just a trailer for a movie that never has a full movie? Like how is that going to be the whole movie? <laughs> right. I'm very excited. The last two questions from Matt are, what are you listening to right now? And what games did you never play that are forever on your list? And maybe you feel guilty about them. Whoa. Um, Listening to is very easy. I got three albums um, that uh, that I am really liking right now. Um, One of them uh, is called uh, This Is Really Going To Hurt by Flight, F-L-Y-T-E. I'm a big fan of Flight. This is their second album. Definitely not a sophomore slump situation in my mind personally i think it's great it's not being reviewed very well or i'm kind of seeing like back and forth reviews on it i am definitely more positive about it i think it's very good they very much just wear all their inspirations on their sleeve um and that is like that's like whitney but also like the beatles um like they they kind of uh blend a bunch of things back and forth great vocalists very good uh a new album by an artist named fog lake called tragedy reel just came oh, out i love fog lake this yeah. week yeah i'm a big fog lake fan um and uh tragedy reel is really good um would listen to it just like prepare to have like a really sad time. And the, the big one for me is uh, the most recent Porter Robinson album, which is called nurture, which just came out that uh, made me cry today. So it's good. I I was also up until like one in the morning watching him do a live set of that. And also just constantly my bloody Valentine. I'm a big fan and all their stuff is on Spotify as of like last week or two weeks ago. So check that out. Uh, You say your stuff and then I have more things to say. But uh, okay, yeah, I'm listening to the soundtrack of Near Replicant quite a bit. Whoa, <laughs> <So>. really? <laughs> yeah, I really cool. love what's going on there. Um, but in terms of other constants, I really love the band Bully. Oh, and yeah, they released an album last summer that's like just fucking unreal. It's so good. It's called Sugar Egg. It's, <laughs> it's a really, really good, good album if you like uh, are like on a run or just like kind of like. It's very, um, it's it's an extremely vulnerable album, but it's extremely upbeat and like fun, not in like a sugary way, but just like Bully's like a very visceral and like fast band, mm-hmm. and the singer she's got an incredible voice. Like she really like she can both be very like melodic, but also like really like lets it go. Like if she wants to like scream and it's just very effective. She's uh, I love that band. Yeah. I also love trios because you can really feel like the power of each member more and more. Mm-hmm. Arlo Parks, a really great artist. Oh, yeah. Released an album recently 
uh, this year called Collapse in Sunbeams. That's really great. Like, that's just a sure thing. Like, no matter what music you listen to, you will love that album. Arlo Parks rules. And what else? Oh, I've listened to Mazzy Star a lot too recently. Uh, 90s band. The album Among My Swan and So Tonight That I Might See. And of course, David Bowie, because that's who I am. Uh, I love David Bowie. <laughs> Uh, yeah. What were you going to say? You had more to follow up on. Yeah, I have, uh, sorry, what, one quick recommendation that I forgot about, uh, Beach Bunny, uh, a band oh, that yeah. uh, I like a lot. Chicago? Are they from Chicago? I think so, yeah. Yeah, uh, they put out an EP that's just like... It's really good. Fucked up good. It's called Blame Game. It's really good. But anyway, uh, what, I, I think like the more interesting answer on my end, uh, for like what I've been listening to recently is I've been like listening to Spotify and stuff less, like I've been like less recently going to uh, a service like that and like choosing what I'm going to listen to. And I've been kind of leaning more into the services that like kind of just give me music experiences. Um, and, and the, the three big ones that I've been going to a lot are, uh, poolside.fm, which is like very easy. You could just go like check that website out. And it's just like cool, like beachy music and not even beachy music, just like music that would play like at a DJ set by a pool, which is really fun. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. They have like an iPhone app and a Mac app, like definitely check it out. It's really cool. Um, the other one that I listen to a lot, a lot is uh, Soma.fm, S-O-M-A, which was an actual like pirate radio station that eventually became an internet radio station like the early 2000s. And they have a bunch of stations. Um, and, and there are two on there that I really like. One of them is called The Drone Zone, which is fun. Um, it's like kind of what it sounds like. Uh, and the other one, I think it's called Deep Space One, which is like more ambient music and uh, really good for working. But also I just like having like programmed music for me um, and Poolside and Soma both like really do that. And then the other one that is like, harder to recommend and harder to get into is a uh, turntable.fm which mm, is a site yeah. that i loved in like 2010 2011 and uh, eventually went away it just like kind of got brought offline and uh is back recently when you go to the website to get in you have to like email the people that run it uh your favorite song of the moment and then they have to like judge if it's good enough to allow you access to the site or not which like just sucks like that's yeah. so shitty but if you get in, it's a great website. So the whole idea is they build like a virtual stage um, and you can go into rooms and then there are people DJing, like members of the community DJing and just like choosing songs from SoundCloud and YouTube and whatever. And uh, you just like hang out and like listen to the songs. There's like a chat bar um, and you can say like that was a good song. That was a bad song or whatever. But also you can like just add it to a playlist in any music service immediately from there. It'll just like find it on Spotify or whatever. I've been finding so much music this way recently over the past like two weeks. I've been turntable like literally all day. Just like that's awesome. Listening to it and, and finding music. And it's just like really nice to be listening to music in a really collaborative way like that. I think. Yeah. You know, I've really missed it, obviously, because of the pandemic. But I just think in general like having a collective musical experience like that be so accessible via the internet um just makes me really happy like to sit there in a chat room and be like and everyone to simultaneously be like whoa that song fucking ruled yeah uh, it's like a really cool experience to have i think and something that like is kind of few and far between in a world where like the chat rooms that we used to have those conversations in or whatever or the forums that we used to have those conversations in um are more like i guess like siloed to you know things
things like private discord servers or like private Facebook messenger chats or whatever, like those things don't happen in public with that kind of immediacy anymore, I guess. Right. It's either like private messages or like a status on, on social media. Right. Yeah. And there's like a weird in between. That's cool Um, though. So those three services kind of encompass like most of my music listening recently, but it's only because of the, those three albums that I mentioned at the top um, that I like opened up Spotify for the first time recently because I was excited about all three of them. And the last question uh, Matt asks is, what games do you never play that are forever on your list and maybe you feel guilty about them? We're we're weirdly crossing them off like pretty frequently uh, <laughs> on this show. Like uh, Eco was a big one for me for a long time. Um, yeah. But here we are. Well, I, I mean, I definitely have a lot of games that I want to get to, but games that like I have already that I've been meaning to get to or that I've been meaning to bring to the show. I have two specific ones. Oh, okay. I bought West of Loathing like four years ago. And oh, yeah, I that not, game rules. I know. I know. I can't <laughs> wait to play it, but it just like never feels like the right time. Yeah, and like I get we're that. always swept up in something else. I have West of Loathing on Switch and I, and I, keep forgetting that it's even there because it's also like not super easy to browse the games you have on switch you know yeah anyway the other one is uh a game that i played like the first five to six hours of and was really enjoying and like want to play more and talk about on the show and it's forever like (laughs) it has gotten bumped for weeks like every week i'm like okay if i have nothing to talk about at least i can like pull this one back uh valkyria chronicles oh wow yeah yeah months ago played it in preparation for an episode but we had actually too many things okay i'll save it for another time and like i do remember this it's every nice week to was have like, that. and I'll bring Valkyria Chronicles next week. Yeah. And then like, <laughs> like eventually you just stop happened. telling me that you're going to bring Valkyria Chronicles the next week. Because <laughs> I, th- I, I think now it's nice to know that I, I, it, it's been joined by a few of the games. I'm like, okay, like not that I don't want to talk about these. I actually really do. But like there's usually because we, we usually think about like how the episode is going to be formatted and not that it needs to be cohesive of like what we're talking about. But like usually it's like three things. And for whatever reason, it just like never felt like, oh, I need to go back to Valkyria Chronicles and bring it back. But I I've been wanting to talk about it. Cause it's an interesting game. Yeah. So uh, those are my two. Two. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring two also two on my switch as well that like I just really wish I'd put more time into because uh, I have a feeling I'd like them a lot more is uh, Bug Fables and CrossCode. Yes. Oh, CrossCode is another one. I really like we both were so smitten by that game's intro and like it did kind of get a little bit like grindy at one point, but I've heard it like really is worth seeing the whole game. So I'd love to get to it. One yeah, day. I, I very specifically feel that with Bug Fables, but I've heard that CrossCode has a great ending. Um, yeah. and, and another one I'll, I'll throw out there also also on my Switch uh, just while I'm looking at it is a uh, Battle Chef Brigade, which I played the first hour of and loved, like loved, loved. And it, I think it probably is aided by the fact that I've been watching uh, Shoku Geki, which is uh, also called Food Wars, which is a really weird anime that I'm not going to recommend, but is a show I'm watching. Um <laughs> It's just an anime about cooking. Um, but uh, anyway, been watching that a lot and Battle Chef Brigade like really kind of aided that. Uh, so, yeah, good video game that I want to play oh, yeah. more of. Uh, speaking of cross code, it is on Game Pass as well. And not only that, but there is a like it's one of the games that got like an Xbox Series S and X update, which I'm not sure what that would mean for cross code. But I'm like going if I go back to it, I'll probably just start a new game like fully photorealistic 3D. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it probably just runs like very smooth because it's like a lot about like bullet hells and yeah and you know arcade shooting. Cool. We got two more questions. If you got it in yet? Yeah. Andrew and Discord asks 
now that the final cut is released, have you slash will you return to Disco Elysium? Um, actually, I was so at- nervous that was going to be about the Justice League. I, I was like so concerned that was going to be the Snyder Cut. Okay. Which I did watch, but I won't talk about. Disco Elysium, I mean, we we finally got to it. We actually, ironically, we both downloaded it like weeks, oh, maybe a week before the yeah. final cut came out. So silly. And we both played it like enough to talk about our first impressions of it and both were like really impressed by it but like have not given it nearly enough time to like give it a proper shake yeah you nailed Um, it we haven't even talked about this off the show you just kind of intuited that that's exactly my vibe with it too yeah i want to get to it one day i'm honestly like i i that's a game and i said this on the show i think i respect it more than i enjoy it i'm like not super into the crpg genre weirdly enough like that's what i'm learning too yeah yeah I, i think um I would, you know, lump Disco Elysium alongside, like, we compared it to a point and click, which actually uh, created conversations in the Discord about, like, what is Disco Elysium? Because I think it's got a lot of ties as well to CRPGs, like, weirdly enough, like Baldur's Gate or Divinity Original Sin 2, which is another game I played and brought to the show that I enjoyed, but I just, like, learned that in an RPG world, I actually prefer a little bit more structure. Because, like, if I'm given this sort of, like, complete freedom of D&D, I'd rather that, like, be D&D, you know? Uh-huh. Um, that being said, like, Disco Elysium is, is doing a lot of really cool stuff. And I, like, completely get why that is a lot of people's, like, not only game of the year for when that came out, but, like, one of the favorite games ever. It's just not really my thing. Like, I just, I think I prefer, like, if you have that type of RPG on one end and you have, like, kind of like a streamlined start to finish linear game on the other i kind of prefer something in the middle you know i like having like more firmly established lanes but like a little bit of freedom to wiggle within it Mm. if that makes sense yeah that's 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 a good take i haven't really thought about why i haven't gone back to it as much um i do know that the the mac version that you and i both got like did get the update for free which is i downloaded it yeah Yeah. which is i was actually worried that i would have to buy it again yeah. Uh, so it's like nice to know that if I go back to it, I can like have that experience. But I've been just kind of like exploring so much other stuff recently that I just haven't done it. But like it is definitely a game that's like on my list. And like to go back to Matt's last question, um, like I have a feeling like over time it will become one of those things where it's like I'm just going to be kicking myself for not checking this out, you know, over time. Yeah. We're playing a lot of stuff, though. And we have like other stuff going on, too. Like I'm probably playing as many games as I can without it being like irresponsible at this point. Yeah, specifically in preparation for this episode and the other one we recorded earlier this morning, like I really feel like I was playing like as much stuff as I possibly can simultaneously. Yeah. Not to mention like future episodes as well that I've been like slowly preparing for over time. Yes. Same. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that question. We got one more question. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, What other PS2 era-ish games would you like to see receive a near shot-for-shot remake like Shadow of the Colossus? We're back. I said this one for last because it was about Shadow of the Colossus. So like, what other PS2 game do we want to get the blue point treatment, basically? Great question. Fantastic question. Hmm. The one that's like actually rumored and like rumored to be like a blue point remake is metal gear solid 2 Ooh, fun. um yeah yeah which like yeah i would want that <laughs> <laughs> but i i need to think i need to think about it uh for myself not kingdom hearts 
Yeah, I was, I was like, not Kingdom Hearts, not Final Fantasy X. I would honestly, like, I, I maybe a little bit of a cop-out for uh, just because I brought it up earlier, but um, I would like to see Psychonauts with some of the, like, kind of rougher edges sanded off because, like, a lot of that game felt like they compressed a lot of the, like, assets and images into that game into, like, the smallest PNGs possible. Um, <laughs> like, you can, it feels, like, really kind of staticky and gritty when you play it in a way that doesn't seem like it's serving the art style. It just seems like they did it to save space on the disc. Um, right. So I'd like to see that game kind of like uncompressed, just kind of like in all its beauty, because there's so much cool artistry in Psychonauts that like I, I would like to see uh, it in as like high fidelity as possible, which like I know probably won't be the case. And the closest I'll probably get to that is Psychonauts 2. But, you know, I can dream. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no other ones really stand out to me in this moment. I know Resident Evil 4 is getting a remake soon, too. And I don't know if I necessarily even need that, but that's like, yeah. Another big one. Weirdly, I think Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 were actually the ones that came to mind, even though I haven't really played either game. I think both Same, those games yeah. are like, there's something about, at least I played the first like few hours of, of Snake Eater, Metal Gear Solid 3, really liked it. And I was kind of amazed at, like how open it was, like how you played it and like how interactive the environments were. And I imagine that would feel really cool with just like a better presentation. Mm. But it's also like really impressive to experience that on the PS2. So like, yeah, I'm not sure. On in, Actually, I have an answer. Eco. I would want Eco to get a shot for shot remake. It's a great answer. Yeah, that's my answer. Yeah, and I, that would be a really good way to end the episode. But I'm also going to throw one more out, which is Burnout <laughs> 3 Takedown. Uh, because, man, do I want the Burnout franchise to come back. And if it is just a remaster of Burnout 3 Takedown, fine by me. But if it's like a revitalization of that franchise... Even better. I love Burnout. I miss Burnout so much, Steven. Ugh. I don't know what it is. What? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, my I God. I you were just making a joke. Ugh. What is Burnout? It was a whole racing franchise that was all centered oh. around the idea of, like, crashing your car into other people. <laughs> you ever play Burnout uh. Paradise? No, man. Dude, it's on the Switch. Go get it. It's like really good. Hell yeah. Okay, they cool. they they remat not remastered. They just like ported the game over to Switch. Um and it rules. And I think you would love it because the like DJ in the game is like very silly in a way that you kind of appreciate. Yeah. Um it's also an open world driving game, kind of like uh Forza Horizons, which you know you recently kind of connected yeah. with, but uh is more about crashing your car into other people than it is about like exploring <laughs> the countryside. So it's a good time. I spent so much time playing Burnout when I was a kid. Um, three, four, and Paradise. And uh, would love to see any of those games show up again. Hell yeah. And those are all our questions. Uh, <laughs> I think ultimately, I hope it paid off that we opened the floodgates to just other questions. Um, but I think this is a fun time overall. Yeah. And again, uh, just to wrap everything up, like I am probably going to go play Shadow of the Colossus once we're done recording because I'm like, hell yeah. So in the headspace to like keep thinking about these two works. And uh, I'm really glad we got a chance to talk about both of them. Yeah, me too. You and I have been recording all day, like actually all day. Yeah, it's eight o'clock. But I mean, we started, well, we recorded a double today. So we did the episode that came out before this, just the standard one for the week and this one pretty much back to back. We took a lunch break. So we've been recording since 11. So like for eight hours, basically. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. Wild. I Pretty need to cool. go relax. Um, hey, this episode is made possible by our patrons. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash into the cast um, and, and donate to the show. Um, as we always say every week, 
and every month for our bonus episodes, any any donation we get at all, like even if one person donates to the Patreon, then we will continue making bonus episodes. So uh, thank you all so much uh, for donating. Thank if you so much. In yeah. any way, uh, donating negatively impacts you financially. Please do not back the show. It's totally okay. We're gonna be fine. the The Patreon just kind of allows us to like check out more games, get more gear for streaming, and doing more show related things. Um, yeah. So thank you all so much uh, for doing that and making a lot of this stuff possible. Yeah. Uh, it also helps pay for AJ editing the show. Thank you, AJ, for editing thank the you, show. Thank you, AJ. Uh, AJ, uh, a incredible podcast producer. Yes. If you're looking for someone to edit your sound-based medium, uh, give AJ a call. Truly, he's incredible what he does. Absolutely. Yeah, his uh, his website, I think, is in the show notes of every episode. Um, at least it should be. I'm pretty sure it is. So, yeah, go check that out. And uh, I have had an awful lot of sake in the past two or three hours, so I'm going to just cut it short here. I'm going to say my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful rest of your night or yeah. day or afternoon. Yeah, whatever, whatever time it is. Un toi, un toi, un toi, un toi, un toi. Hey, <laughs> that's more Wind Waker. Oi! Un toi.